Hey everyone, Dave here. Though our program usually talks about the very silly world of wrestling from the 1990s, it would be remiss of us not to mark the tragic passing in this last week of Shad Gaspard, Larry Sanka and Hana Kimura. The hole they've left in our community that is built around this hobby we love so much is too large for me to do justice to, but suffice to say they will be missed dearly. Myself and Lee's condolences go out to the friends, family and fans of Shad, Larry and Hannah. And if you ever need help, please reach out. We've left a link in our show notes that might help. The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. Thunder Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway. Coming to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. I'm your host, your Capitan upon Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I am joined by my ever faithful co host in the sidecar this week, uh, which is an appropriate venue. Uh, it's Stagger Lee Malone. I don't know whether to feel awful that I don't have my own bike and I'm stuck in your sidecar. Yeah, I do you know as we were setting up, I was trying to think like, what's a cool biker word to describe myself as being on Thunder Road? But like, honest to God, I know I know nothing about motorcycles. Uh, well, you could you could have went for the easy one. You could have said we were like chips. Yeah, I could have. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I I watched a lot of Sons of Anarchy, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> and, I, I, and I feel like that show was somewhat heightened if I'd come in and started like using whatever terms are still rattling around in my brain from Sons of Anarchy I would have looked very outdated and I, I don't want to when we're talking about such cool people on this show oh yeah um, but uh, before we look before we get into it in our pay-per-view extravaganza uh, how are you? <laughs> uh, I'm okay I'm not not, not good not bad just kind of Getting by this Another week. week. Yeah. yeah. It's been a hard, hard week. Yeah, I think um, it, it ebbs and flows nowadays, mm-hmm. I think. You know, um, I think I was having a, I was having a good couple of weeks there. And, and now I'm kind of, um, we're, we're talking about doing a barbecue tomorrow here at home. Um, and I, Emma was saying to me, my partner, she was like, oh, um, we can go after I've uh, clocked off from work and, and get all the barbecue stuff. And I was like, no, no, I, I actually just need to get out of the house and I need to go now. And I don't care how much stuff I have to lift back from the town. I just need to go on a walk and be yeah. somewhere that isn't my office because uh, work is kind of melting my head. Um, but uh, ah, look, I, 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 you know, all things considered, uh, everything's all right. You know, I can't complain too much. 
Um, and as I said, I have a barbecue to look forward to tomorrow, so it's it's not too bad. <laughs> Are you going to have a country music concert out your back as well, then? I don't know. You see, I don't know if I can do uh, anything in terms of country or, or cowboy or in that genre, uh, because last weekend I watched a shoot horse make an entrance on a pay-per-view, and I, I don't think <laughs> I can rightly top that. Um, you, you don't have horses roaming around in the world? No, unfortunately not. Uh, it's something. It, it's the only company we kind of uh, do reference what they're doing currently because they, <laughs> there are so many parallels to WCW, um, and, and WCW is known for a crazy stip match or two in, a, in its time. Uh, I don't think the two of us have actually talked uh, with each other about the Stadium Stampede match that I don't, happened. I don't think we have because I fell asleep during the show. Yeah, and you you were kind of in the dms chatting away about it so we never actually talked directly about it yeah it um it was kind of the whole show was kind of uh, i i can forgive anybody who fell asleep during it because it kind of until the last three matches i think it was a bit like a bit up and down mm. well um, to be specific it was the dustin sean spears match that put me to sleep yeah there was there was definitely that and then like i thought the cody match went on too long and and, and all that but uh the stadium stampede match. So, did you watch it the following day? I did. I watched it the following did, morning with uh, with my son, who absolutely loved it. Okay. Did you have it spoiled? Did you have much of it spoiled? No, I had not, none of it. But I I don't log on to Twitter anymore in the morning. Oh God! Right. So, what did you think of it? Because I think like anybody who follows the Thunder account, the Days of Thunder account, WCW Thunderbot on Twitter, or me at the Day to Dave, uh, have comprehensive thoughts on how much I I loved. Uh, the stadium stampede match so what did you and and uh, the big dog Connor, think of it watching it <laughs> oh you loved it I, I, i'm i'm borderline five stars with it yeah um i thought it was just one of the do you know what it was the perfect match for the perfect moment in the way the wrestling world was feeling at the time yeah and i thought this was such a pick-me-up um yeah. just everything was fun it was funny like legitimately funny um, like every the inner circles football jerseys and the the meaning behind the numbers, yeah. the the horse, page, Hangman Page's entrance on the horse and chasing down Sammy, <laughs> uh, Sammy getting chased down again by the golf cart, yeah, the big finish, the I thought the actual the the Mahardy reincarnation stuff was actually funny. Yeah, um, I, I I thought, right, so the thing about the Matt Hardy stuff, because that's, I think, the most Marmite thing about mm. it. And I think the, the difficulty with that is, I think, in isolation, that is very funny. Yes. But I think in the context of this match, that is silly, but not that silly. Do you know what I mean? I, I think when you have a match that's kind of preposterous, but then you go, it, it kind of jumps the shark a little bit when you have, okay, now he has magic powers. Whereas yeah. I, I think that gag in a hard, like a Hardy compound style mm-hmm. match where it's already silly and magical, I think is is better. So yeah, isolation good. It took me out of the match for a couple of minutes, even though I did laugh at like the mat facts and yeah. the two lads reacting to being able to see the mat facts around the, the screen. The, the matter of facts or whatever they were called. Yeah, the, yeah. I thought they were very funny. Um, and the bar fight, I thought the bar fight was the best, probably the best cut scene of it all. Yeah. That was great. The um the the buckshot lariat oh, over, over Kenny's, Kenny's back. back. Yeah, 
uh, was incredible. I loved, and I, I, I think our friend Barry, the Barry lad on Twitter, I think he was doing it as a joke originally, and then one Santana from uh, Proud and Powerful confirmed that this is what he was doing. Him, and I think it was Kenny, did the spot from No Mercy 64 where you whip somebody into the, the like, the the Tron up at the top of the stage mm. to make them go backstage where they like run off for fucking ages. <laughs> love it. That was, that was maybe my favorite homage in, in the whole thing. Uh, loved Jericho versus the mascot. Oh yeah. G- giving a giant mascot, the Judas effect, uh, pulling a flag on the play and going into the replay tent with Aubrey, like really good stuff. And I have to say um, the, the finish looked fucking great as well. Yeah. Yeah, it did. Um, yeah, the, the whole thing was just fantastic. Uh, I loved it. And as you said, really badly needed. I kind of wish I'd waited to watch that until after this show. Because, um, boy, did I need to pick me up after that. Um, I, I, I think one of the things that set me up for a fall before we start talking about this show is that I've been watching a lot of The Sopranos lately, Lee. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I started... I'm, not, I'm not sure where the tie-in is coming here. No, the tie-in is literally, I was watching loads of Sopranos and I had to stop watching the Sopranos to watch this. And then we go from one of the best prestige TV shows of all time into what we watch tonight. Oh, it's it's fucking jarring to say the least. Um, here's, Here's something for you. I've never watched all of the Sopranos. Do you know, I actually got a lot of that sentiment today on Twitter when I posted that, like, my, my best decision I've made in the lockdown is to start rewatching The Sopranos. Uh, a couple of people coming out of the woodwork saying they'd never... Um, I think, I think I'm think i into season three when I started watching it, and then I, I stopped. Um, yeah. but, well, I don't say I stopped. I think I just... Whatever happened, life got in the way or whatever. But yeah. I will pick it back up eventually, but yeah. It, it, it is a really good show. And yeah, I, I, was, I was tending to watch, like, two or three episodes at a time. But my problem is it's not the kind of show you can watch with a seven-year-old in the house, with you? No, no, that is for damn surely. It's um, it's fantastic, though, and it's one where I watched it for the first time when I was 20 and I was living in college, and me and the lads were kind of watching it on the couch. And as you do when you're watching with mates, like, you're not 100% locked in. So between that and the fact that I'm, I'm now 30 and not 20, I think I have an all-over greater appreciation for the show now, and mm. I'm so glad I started watching it again. I've forgotten huge chunks of what happens in that show and when things are happening so like lots of it is coming as a surprise to me uh, even though I've watched it before which is great it's like watching it for the first time again but yeah like a huge amount of people are saying that and I think part of it is just that we live in such a golden age of TV where there's so much great TV so many great movies and on top of that as well it's so easy to access great Mm. TV and great movies like you don't have to learn how to use torrent sites and things like that like a lot of people used to do to get american tv and like the best american tv is now freely available on like whether it's sky atlantic now tv uh different streaming services um it's just so easy that kind of if something isn't immediately holding your attention or in your case if you have a child and it's not suitable you can you kind of put it down and yeah. you, you forget to come back to it because there's so much else it, it's like i haven't you sent me spider-man yes the what, what the was far, of far, joe spider-man as I far, far, far from home isn't it yes uh, no uh sorry homecoming homecoming um and i still haven't watched it and you yeah. sent me you sent me that what nearly two weeks ago i would say so yeah and it's just because i haven't got it's a weird thing to say i haven't got the moment or the time yeah to actually that, sit down and concentrate on it 
that brings me to my last question before we go into beers. Has there been any progress on um on your MCU journey? No, see, because I want to watch Spider-Man. Is that the next one? Yes. Okay, so have you watched... Have we talked about Black Panther then? Have you watched Black Panther? No, because you said it goes... I watched Ant-Man. Oh. oh, hang on. I have to get the, the, the run. The run of it up. Yeah. I could... Oh, no, my coats are in the way. I'm trying to have a look. Oh, yeah, you're dead right. Because I have the Blu-rays over my shoulder in, in order. Of, co- I think I, I s- of course you do. Yeah. Well, the thing is, if you've ever seen my Blu-ray shelf, I need to keep things in order. Otherwise, I will never find anything. Um. Yeah, I, it looks like Black Panther is after, after Spider Man. Okay, so I the last one I watched was Doctor Strange, which uh, apparently I should have watched Spider Man first. Oh, this is it's ter- this is t- terrible audio. So I'm not going to keep craning my neck back to my <laughs> shelf. <laughs> well, I have it on the a website techradar.com. Yeah, have a, a listing. So they go. Uh, Civil War which was phenomenal yeah. then Spider-Man Homecoming then Doctor Strange so I've watched okay. Doctor Strange so I'll go back to Homecoming yeah. I mean honestly yeah the, like whichever order I, I think I was saying this to you as well whichever order you watch those two or three uh, next ones before Infinity War it doesn't matter once you get them all watched before yeah. Infinity War Um, I think to get you most hyped up definitely do, do it where Black Panther is the last one before Infinity War no it's Black Panther then Ragnarok Oh, I forgot Ragnarok. Yeah. Uh, that's what that... Yeah, that's what that colour DVD is. Or Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, yeah. So then you're going to be super hyped up. Yeah. Uh, and that's the one... Everything. That's the one... Apart from Civil War, Ragnarok is always the one I've heard that's... Um, yeah. Well worth watching. Yeah, Civil War, Ragnarok. I, I think you're really going to like Black Panther as well. I'm sure I will. You, like, yeah. Um. Did we mention that I watched Doctor Strange? I can't remember if I did or didn't. Uh, give us your brief thoughts again. I, 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 <laughs> I have to say, I re- no, I, I think I think we mentioned Civil War. I wasn't because I wasn't, we talked about Peter. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy it. Yeah, but God, I, I loved it. I thought the story was great and the backstory of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then, yeah, we did. I I don't remember you telling me how you felt about that movie. So I don't. Yeah. No. Really I I I, I really and en- I really enjoyed it. Like the the stuff with the yeah. cloak and um, hmm. the kind of time bending and stuff like that. Yeah. I I think um, it's one of those. It's kind of in the um the vein of like an Ant Man, where it's it it feels kind of less essential than other ones. Um. But it's not like. It's not without its charm mm. and, and enjoyment and stuff like that. And yeah, I think the way it wraps up in the end is very clever. And I think a lot of the concepts it introduces are, are very important, important going forward. forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's like one of them that takes a, a break from the heaviness of it all coming off Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, you, you need a bit of respite before what's coming. But mm-hmm. um, look, with, with that out of the way, let's go into our Beers of Thunder because there is... Um, Let's just say there's a lot to talk about tonight uh, on NWO or WCW NWO Road Wild 1998. Uh, Lee, what have you got in the holster this week? Okay, so this week I have another beer from 8 Degrees Brewing, which is an Irish microbrewery. And this one is called the Session Easygoing IPA. This was one that was nearly loaded and ready to go, was it two weeks ago? Yes, and then I I, I, I pulled a swerve and switched out to the... um, I can't remember what name it was. 
The full Irish. The full Irish. Irish. That's what it was. Yes. So, once again, I've never had this before. Tense moments. Okay, that that that's nice. That's um, very. It's not very hoppy. It's like um, what's the taste I'm getting? I can't even describe the taste I'm getting. It, it's it's a bit heavier. That well, I think it's a bit heavier than the um the full Irish one was actually. Yeah, I thought the full Irish one went a, down a bit easier. I was gonna say which one is which one would you sooner go back to? So pro- probably the the full Irish mm. is better for a, a session. Now, that that's not to say this is bad. Yeah. It's just, you know, in the hierarchy of eight degrees, it's mm-hmm. probably just, it, it, you'd sooner reach for the, the full but Irish per, again. Personal the taste would be full Irish for me. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I have, uh, for the second week in a row, we're, uh, we're featuring, I think the second week in a row, if not two weeks ago, I, I had one from this brewing company last, from the Four Pure Brewing Company, uh, an English company. Uh, I've gone for the Basecamp Pills Lager. I was looking for something we're uh, we're experiencing a lot of unseasonable warmth mm-hmm. this week still uh, in Ireland so I wanted something that was thirst quenching and would go down easy so I have in my very pretentious beard lass I have this uh, lager pre-poured so uh, let me to try it now oh oh yeah god that's very reminiscent of a um <clears throat> let me try it again <laughs> It has like the refreshment factor of say like uh, something mild like a Coors. Okay. But a stronger flavor. Now not so strong that it would be off-putting or anything like that. Not, but not after tasty like no. You're more inclined to know it's alcohol than uh, with a Coors Light. Okay. Where Coors Light kind of just goes down like water. <laughs> I find. I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah. That will come in handy because uh, when we record during, uh, as Lee knows, during heat waves in Ireland, it's very difficult for me to record in this office because <laughs> it is small and very warm. And usually by the time we're done, the shirt has been popped off and uh, I'm, in, I'm in absolute bits. Well, so this well, will help. That's why I'm now recording in the kitchen because of nice airy room and plenty. <laughs> I'm not kind of on top of myself. Wise, wise, my friend. Uh, let's get on with it then. And we're talking about WCW NWO Road Wild 1998 coming to you from Sturgis, South Dakota, August 8th, 1998. Straight up top, Lee, before we even get into anything that happens on the show, I think I speak for both of us here. And, and please interject if you disagree uh, in saying that top to bottom, this was probably the worst pay-per-view we've seen so far and i i want to clarify and we, we, we will get into it as we go along there are some genuine stinkers on this show some absolutely horrendous matches segments ideas booking decisions but as well the stuff that's good and there there is some stuff that i, I would pick out here I think a lot of it is kind of, it ages terribly, mm. you know? I, I think there's some stuff that would have been, I, I was talking on, on Twitter about this last night, I think there's some a couple of matches on this show that if I had watched this at the time, I would have liked a lot more, you know? There are a couple of kind of brawls and things like that happening here in this, ma- in this show that I think in 1998, I would have eaten that shit up. 
But looking back on 2020 and after the two last pay-per-views we've talked about, I, I think I just wasn't having any of it. Uh, what, what did you think about this show overall before we get in? I think us watching Bash of the Beach 96 last week kind of spoiled me going into this because I generally enjoyed that show last week. Like, I know we had a different opinion on the, the dog collar match and, like, we had the phenomenal Ray psych- psychosis match. But, like, th- this show, I'm just looking through my notes. There's one match on this show that I enjoyed. Like, one out of two and a half, two and three yeah. quarter hours. I thought this yeah. show in general was shit. Yeah, I-, I think I enjoyed one match and it's probably the same match. Uh, well, it, yeah, it's almost certainly the same match. Mm-hmm. And I-, I think what I spent the rest of the show doing was trying to pick positives. Um, oh, I didn't. For, I didn't. <laughs> so for a, f- for a few of the matches, I've isolated things I liked um, where I can, but like it was much more of a slog. Um, like the- and it's not even one of those shows that like when we get to 99, 2000, 2001, where it's just completely off the wall, insane car crash booking that's just so terrible. We'll we'll get great fun out of it. This was just, this show was I think without commercials or anything like that. I think it's like two hours forty two minutes or something like that, and it, it felt twice as long. Mm-hmm. It was really I had to take a break. Like I I've been doing a lot of these shows in one sitting lately, and I I legitimately had to take a break from my sanity and just go into the next room and lie down with some music for a while before I came back. I was just about to make the same point. This is the fourth show in a long time I've had. It took me three sittings to watch this show. Yeah, three three sittings is usually when you know Liam alone is is right up to that right up to here with like like like, I sent you a message on Monday afternoon saying right when were you recording? Yeah, and we decided we'll we'll do Wednesday. And I said, yeah. that's Grant. I can put off watching this poxy show till tomorrow. Yeah. And even then, it still took me three separate sittings to get through this. Up until yeah. an hour and a half ago, I finished the main event. And that's yeah. n- I am never that late getting through a show. <laughs> I, I just thought this was fucking horrendous. Like, honestly, like we'll get into it match by match, but yeah. awful. Yeah. I think you said something to me uh, before I watched it that there is an all-time run of horrendous matches one after the other on this show. And and, uh, and luckily, Dave, that opens the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we got our opening video package, uh, which is all obviously about the main event tag match that's happening. Uh, Bischoff Hogan versus Paige and Leno. It's a classic WCW video package, Lee. And I was just cackling at like they really love their tropes in their video packages, much like WWF has the kind of melodramatic, melodramatic kind of trying to turn every pay-per-view into some sort of arch Shakespearean drama. O- opera almost, yeah. Yeah, uh, the WCW thing is just to have names. Uh, the names of the wrestlers <laughs> zoom past the screen as the announcer just thunders their names out. Hogan, Hogan. Bischoff. Bischoff. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's literally a Britain's Got Talent announcement, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eric Bischoff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I love it, uh, and oh, the other the other trope that they absolutely love is like grainy footage of uh, the, the incidents that have led up now, to pay per view. Now, to be fair, I can I can give them like lay off, give them a slack on that one because that was very of the time. Yeah, it was oh, definitely of that. Like it's it's proper peak nineties nostalgia, seeing stuff like that. But it's great because really, Jay Leno is a lot busier than even um Rodman 
well, Rodman was as busy as he wanted to be, as The Last Dance mm. recently pointed out, if anyone watched that on Netflix, and the intersection with uh, the his his running off to Nitro uh, before one of the games of the finals. Uh, but him and Carl Malone seemed to be around a lot more than Jay Leno was uh, able to be. So the only footage they could get of Jay Leno was from the, the shove heard round the world when Hogan and Bischoff show, showed yeah. up on The Tonight Show. And that, do, you know, um, do you know what? This is something I'm going to... Like, I was thinking about this as I was watching the show. We missed two weeks of Thunder because they took two weeks off for... Um, what was it? The, the Goodwill Games. Uh, Goodwill Games, yeah. So I was trying to think. It's that it's that thing that they talk about in Mighty Ducks too, because uh, <laughs> they go off to the Junior Goodwill Games. Actually, you know what? There's there's some movies everyone should watch on uh, Disney Plus if you haven't yet. Oh, I very recently have. I tried to get Connor to watch them. He was having none of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I won't. I won't take us this. This again. You know, Days of Thunder is going through a terrible show when we're taking any fucking side road off to talk about anything else. But uh, I, I recently, as I said, rewatched the Mighty Ducks trilogy, and holy shit, that first one is just like a great sports movie. Oh, I love the first one. The first one is great. Yeah, I was trying um, to say the, this the, to, the, to friend of the show, Jack Lazell, recently, and he just wasn't buying what I was selling. I was saying, no, it is genuinely a really good sports movie. Um, we also rewatched Space Jam after I, Connor has been watching the Last Dance with me. Believe it or not, <laughs> <laughs> including all its horrendously salty language. <laughs> and I said, "Oh, we should." He was asking about when he was recording Space Jam. Yeah. So I said, "Oh, we'll have a look and see if it's on Netflix." And sure enough, it is. So yeah. we watched Space Jam one evening after watching the Last Dance, and God, what a movie! I fucking I love Space Jam. Did you? I would have thought maybe you might have been a bit too old to enjoy oh, Space Jam. No. At the Space Jam came out in '96, yeah. so I was ten, and I don't know if I saw it in the cinema, but I definitely had a probably a knockoff VHS of it. I I, I saw it in the cinema, um, and I loved it. And I also had like the comic book adaptation of the movie. Oh jeez, <laughs> that was released in like news agents to hype up the movie. Um, yeah, I love that. But, and more time goes on. Like, I didn't appreciate it at the time. Uh, I fucking love Bill Murray's cameo in that uh, movie. Bill Murray shows up and is it, is it Bugs or, or, or Daffy? Someone's like, hey, Dan Aykroyd's yeah. in this picture. <laughs> it's, like that. it's that kind of stuff I love because it's just you don't pick up on as a kid. Yeah. No child watching got that. Like, how many years before that? Like, multiple years previous was even Ghostbusters 2. So, mm-hmm. like, no one was getting that joke. Um, oh, that's good stuff. Like, see, you you, you saying there, like, you would have thought it was too old. The one that always stands yeah. out to me is, I think Shrek came out in, like, the late 90s, like, 99-ish. Uh, yeah, 99 or 2000. I remember seeing that in the cinema as well. And I can remember my parents asking me to go to the cinema with them. Yeah. And that's when I was like, I'm not going to the cinema we used to watch a cartoon. That yeah. That's when I realised I was getting into that kind of teenager stage. Too cool for school. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going to see that and, and there's a bit like towards the, the start of the movie where uh, Shrek starts breaking out wrestling moves. <laughs> the fight at the castle, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like me and my cousin went to see it with my auntie and uncle and we lost, like we were such wrestling fans that like we just fucking lost our minds when that happened it's like oh my god a big movie in the cinema is doing wrestling stuff a hot tag to donkey yeah oh god (laughs) (laughs) maybe that'll be a patreon stretch goal when when that when our patreon finally goes we'll we'll review the the wrestling match in shrek Uh, every every wrestling uh cartoon match 
<laughs> but unfortunately, this was not that. Um, we opened the show with three very differently dressed men, Lee. <laughs> this was... I was... This... Unfortunately, one of the high points of the show was seeing the announcers and the way they were dressed up. I thought I was going to be in for an absolutely cracking time when I saw the three of them. So, Tony should definitely have been in Greece too. Yeah. Ah, in in his leather jacket and shades. Yeah. Little the little roundy shades that um, like Marty Squirrel would probably wear these days. Yeah, probably. Uh, Mike Tanay is in his denim jacket and shirt and shades, and I really hope he's double deniming up and has the jeans on as well. Oh, he, def- he definitely has the stonewashed jeans on. Uh, and then Heenan, who gives the least fucks of any man living on this show, is just in a t-shirt and a pink ball cap. I think the uh, pink hat just killed me. Yeah, absolute legends. And I will say consistently, probably the best performers on the show are the commentators tonight. Uh, I found myself writing down a lot of lines as I was distracted by ba- uh, from bad wrestling by good comedy when particularly Bobby Heenan was just checked out on this show and didn't give a fuck. Yeah, see, I was so checked out on the show I didn't even notice the commentators a lot. Okay, so hopefully... Uh, hopefully you you'll probably I'll get, get me a couple, couple of times. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> Heenan, God bless him, he tries very briefly at the start to big up Leno as like, you know, we've, we've never seen Leno in the ring, I think he's going to surprise us, he's been in training, uh, but like, he runs out of lines very quickly to try and convince us that uh, he's going to be any good, so then he immediately pivots to talk about the Battle Royal. Uh, something we always remark on on these pay-per-view shows, Lee, uh, talk to me about the stage. What, what did you think of it? Because I, I, I kind of... L- liked the stage setup I liked it it was different yeah very unique for like it's not something we'd be used to seeing now like um, like yeah. obviously the, the stage is actually legitimately a stage big enough for a concert because is it Travis Trick or Travis Trett or something yeah his his like his name was up uh, like you could see the neon lights that were going to light up at the end of the show at various points on the stage I'll try and get his name here as you're talking um, obviously he was doing a concert after the show um, which I'm not sure what they're saying when you bought the pay-per-view you got this concert as well it's it, the way they were hyping up on Thunder sounded like um, buy, buy was, one get one free yeah. kind of thing but obviously kind of the way licensing for music stuff works I don't think there would have been any way that the WWE Network version that we watched were going to have oh it. no no so I don't I don't know if it was going to be one continuous broadcast or it was a thing where you got the pay-per-view credit for his um his concert separately and it was kind of one went off the air and then the other started i'm I'm not yeah i'm not entirely sure um uh, travis tritt is the guy's name name t-r-i-t-t um big country we must plead ignorance yeah we yeah we must plead ignorance on a lot of country music um but the Um, the the road itself like the the walkway which was made into a road and it was like insanely wide as well yeah i thought that was cool and then the ring being on a raised platform, yes, was really I I really enjoyed that. I thought that was like added a lot. I enjoyed that, and I felt it was clever as well, given the the setup of the crowd mm-hmm. being on like a, a relatively flat surface. Um, and I gotta say, like you know, we may as well mention it at the top of the program. So this this show obviously Road Wild takes place at at the Sturgis Rally, um, motorbikes at ringside, um. And it's just, like, it's off the side of, like, the main road going through Sturgis. Um, now, I don't know a huge amount about the Sturgis Rally, except it's this town in, in South Dakota where 
once a year just motorbike enthusiasts just flock there and there seems to be concerts wrestling obviously at this stage different bits and pieces and um, we saw some shots throughout the show of the town and it just being absolutely chock-a-block with people um Seem, seemed to be a lot of middle-aged men yeah i at the start of the show i really liked the feel of the kind of open air mm. live crowd around but as we'll talk about in the show i think certain aspects of that that ha- are going to happen with an open air crowd and motorbikes being around got really distracting after a point what did you think about that yeah no i didn't like it <laughs> i, I like this i like <laughs> yeah. the outdoor setup and i like the stage i like the look of the show but the bikes and the crowd are not invested in fucking anything and it just it just added to what, what would have been already a bad show with the wrestling mm. that we see but the crowd just not being invested in anything didn't help either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we get one of the highlights of the show straight away, which is Mean Gene on a motorbike. <laughs> <laughs> and I could not even pay attention to a word he said, Lee. Um, at the very end, he talks about Dave Penzer being a close personal friend or a close long-term friend of his. But... Just the visual of Mean Gene Okerlund on a bike, which we would have the privilege of seeing a couple of times tonight, uh, blew me away. Have you ever seen a man so uncomfortable in his life? Uh, Both uncomfortable... But both uncomfortable and realizing, well, this could get me some attention for women, as we would... (laughs) Which would pay off later on in the show. Listen, there's only one woman for Gene. (laughs) yeah as we talked about last week um but yeah no just weird to see mean gene modeling a motorbike and trying to sell it to people was it american iron horse yeah it was like you're on qvc or something like that yeah american iron horse who had been bigged up on thunder last week and and i'm sure mean gene modeling their bike really helped sales yeah um our first match, uh, Lee alluded to, we start off uh, really badly. It's Barbarian with Jimmy Hart versus Meng. Um, and, you know, when this is the start of your show, you, you know you're you're on to a loser here. This was absolutely fucking dreadful. And not only was it dreadful, Lee, but the crowd did not give a shit. And, like, this is a crowd who... I'm sure the uh, the, the alcohol was flowing. Uh, I'm sure everyone there was having a good time. Uh, and the job of an opener is to get, uh, like, a hot crowd nice and heated up for the, the show and welcome them in with, with something that's a bit spectacular. Uh, Barbarian and Meng was not bad. So I have a theory on this. Right. Obviously, you just mentioned the crowd and the beer is flowing and it's hot and sure people have been drinking a lot. Yeah. So, I'm wondering, did they strategically send Meng and Barbarian, the two toughest motherfuckers in the whole locker room, out yeah. to the ring first, just in case somebody tried to act the fool? If somebody tries to take liberties, these are the two guys that will probably put them in their place quickest kind of thing. Oh yeah, if you want two people that are going to take on a gang of bikers. Yeah, these are right up at the top of the list. All timers. Uh, like like Doug, Doug Dillinger wouldn't be anywhere to be seen. Yeah. I, I still to this day would absolutely not mess with Meng. Whatsoever. Oh no, Jesus Christ no. <laughs> 
Um, Barbarian attempts a strong start to this match, but gets palm struck to bits. And within about, I'd say about 30 seconds, Barb is blown up and has forgotten the spots he was supposed to be doing or feeding in for. Um, Something that seems to be happening a lot in the 90s is a pile driver being used like a couple of minutes into a match and the match just continuing on. Um, Purely transitional move at this point for some reason. Yeah, it's weird. and Maybe it's the absences that makes the heart grow fonder that, like, obviously WWE put paid to most people who aren't The Undertaker doing any form of pile driver a long, long time ago. Um, So maybe it's just that because we haven't seen it in so long, we had forgotten how commonplace pile drivers had become. Well, in the well here's the thing. You're, like, you're talking about pile drivers, but like, look at the Canadian Destroyer and how fucking unmoved people are by seeing a Canadian Destroyer now. When I first saw Canadian Destroyer, I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Um, and now I, I just roll my eyes when people do it. Um, now now you look at it and go, well, I could do a fucking Canadian Destroyer. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's completely lost its magic. And yeah, I, I a lot of shows I've been watching from the 90s recently seem to not... Uh, put a lot of emphasis on the pile driver being a devastating move, which is just really weird to me. Which is strange because, like, nostalgically, you always think of the pile driver as this big finish move. Yeah, uh, we recently rewatched the uh, the Undertaker Shawn Michaels Hell in a Cell match, where there's a pile driver spot on the the base of the steps uh, in that match, and it is truly disgusting. And it's a massive spot in the match. It's not the finish, but it's a. It's massive not even, ha- it's not even halfway through the sh- through the match, like. Yeah, but it, at least in that, it's like a massive, it's sold mm. like a devastating, momentum-shifting move when, when Sean hits him with it. So uh, there's that. But this was kind of just like, we'll do a pile driver and then we'll just move on. You know? Um, Jimmy distracts Meng after the pile driver, which allows Barb to breathe. Meng misses his diving headbutt. Uh, Meng up again, but Barb follows him and lands an overhead belly-to-belly off the top. I'm surprised not, uh, neither men died during that spot uh the crowd does look massive here i that's one thing I, mm. I will reflect like there's a lot of things that distract me about the crowd on this show but it does look like there's an awful lot of people there and that you know with this match as an exception an awful lot of them actually do want to watch some wcw you know, it doesn't I, I, feel like... I think that's just good camera work i don't think there's yeah. as many people there as you would no think. no 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 i i don't think there is i i think it's very well shot like um, you, you see from the helicopter shots a couple of times, yeah. like the the crowd is, I don't want to say it's not deep, yeah, but it, it's fairly tightly packed, yeah. Like when you consider and, they're on motorcycles and not in chairs, yeah. and I think they've definitely mic'd the crowd thoroughly, which mm. is something that unfortunately pays off in the worst way as the show goes on when they start yes. making incredibly distracting noises, um. The, the match is so dully that I was just watching dump trucks go past in the background. <laughs> did you know? It's like, Dave, I did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, a match is bad when you're just fucking watching traffic about five minutes into it. Like, uh, like uh, do, do you know what I was thinking as I was watching them go drive by? I'm going, I wonder can they see the ring and what's going on and what this crowd are looking at? And then I'm going like, are these trucks, like, would these trucks normally go through storages and go, why the fuck is this place so busy? <laughs> and not understanding why there's like 50,000 motor or whatever, 100,000 motorcycles in, in town. Yeah. Like, is there, is there some trucker from fucking Alaska <laughs> going, 
the fuck is going on here? What in the Sam hell? <laughs> yeah. it, it's like um, we both listen to uh, the Grapple podcast. Yeah. Or the Spotlight on Grapple. And um, JP saying when he was watching the Money in the Bank match. And he can see traffic going by in the background on the whatever I motorway it is. And he's looking going, I'm going, looking at this match going, that traffic that's going by, they have to be wondering what the fuck is going on up on that roof that two people just went flying off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can only imagine if you don't know, even if you're somebody who's at the rally but doesn't know the wrestling is happening, it must be really weird passing by here. Um, especially as pyro starts going off later on I marvel like obviously these two guys aren't exactly um, all time greats for, for mat work uh, or anything like that but I always marvel when two men who have teamed together over a period of time have remarkably little chemistry together in the ring like it but, looks but like the two of them prepared the for different matches like you think about it the Matt and Jeff matches never really delivered Matt and Jeff Hardy Edge and Christian had a couple of good matches, mm. but never really had that definitive series of great matches. Yeah, um, the Rock and Roll Express had a, had a few at one point in WCW, wasn't very good. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think what uh, Matt and Nick Jackson, I believe, had a match in Impact. They also they also recently wrestled on Being the Elite, I think. Yeah, but that was more kind of cinematic. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what other tag teams have had matches. Uh, Sean and Marty. Sean and Marty, but that was more down to Marty just being a fucking being Marty. Being Marty. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think like a lot of the ones I, I'm trying to think as exceptions are usually ones where um, they're not like, actual say, tag they, teams. Yeah, like they started out as rivals, became a tag team, and then broke up. Like DIY would be yeah. an easy example. They were single dressers first. Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, I guess DX. Because Sean and Triple H had a, had a few great matches. I when... I, ne- I never considered them a tag team. Yeah, they like they weren't a, they were sta- like roster stablemate kind of thing rather than an established tag team themselves. I guess they were two singles wrestlers forming yeah. an alliance kind of thing. Um, it's like the, the Outlaws were the tag team of the X. Yeah, for sure. Um, God, you know, you'd wonder the sliding doors reality where they just have Sean and Triple H do a lot of those matches how much better the tag team division might be because Triple H could still go at that stage yeah jeez um, but yeah no you're probably right and it's it's a great wrestling trope that I'm just like you would think people who like because obviously you know a lot of you know you hear road stories and a lot of people who are in tag teams tend to travel together and like you would think your ideas coalesce and stuff like that and you might want the same things from a match and have similar philosophies or something like that but like these two guys look like they're wrestling two entirely different matches at the same time and both of them are bad um barb gets his boot ready uh walks straight into a tongan death grip and gets pinned by it uh, Jimmy attempts to attack Meng, but Meng doesn't break the hold. He barely even registers that uh, Jimmy Hart is uh, is attacking him. And unlike you know when we were talking about Bash at the Beach uh, last week, where I was just livid at the the not registering uh, being attacked. I think this is obviously one of the occasions where uh, it works because Meng should not be remotely selling for Jimmy Hart. No. Uh, and like I, I love Jimmy is out in his, like just his t-shirt and his slacks, but he yeah. has elbow pads on for no reason. Because he's Jimmy Hart. You always, always got to bring your gear, son. 
I was going to bring your gear. And then, then we see him do the splash off the middle rope, and you're like, ah, there you go. That's why he has the elbow pads. Yeah. Mar- uh, Morris comes out, and the heels beat down Meng. They hold Meng down. Jimmy hits the aforementioned splash, but he takes it entirely on his knees. So that's probably where he should put the elbow pads instead. Um, and he hits the splash as the bikes, for the first and not the last time for the night, start honking and revving. Um, well, I was going to say, maybe Jimmy is like Ame Johnson under the slacks. <laughs> and he's just covered like foot to fucking to neck in the uh, knee pads and elbow pads just made out of knees uh, knee pads. <laughs> uh, just reminds me there's a great Terry Pratchett line in the, the book Mort where he describes the character of Mort as looking like he's built out of knees and that kind of that, that sums up Jimmy Hart's physique I suppose <laughs> um Meng straight back up I love after the splash because it's like oh no this fucker isn't putting me down he gets straight back up gets beaten down again Morris hits his moonsault which like the the crowd are really into the moonsault uh, and then Duggan comes out to a huge pop and Meng cl- and him and Meng clear house uh, and well, then well Dave I, I, I have a theory on why the crowd were into Hugh Morris doing a moonsault was it because they found it humorous no no I'm gonna say it's because the American guy came down and did a move. I would say yes, and the, then the man who's known for waving the American flag came out uh, afterwards, and they popped even bigger. Yeah, just, just a theory. You know, yeah. we can't prove anything. Don't think you're you're too far off there. Um, always a bad omen, Lee, when you think the opener went forever. Um, and not only that, but the post match went nearly as long and was very tedious. I I really don't think there was a need to beat down Meng twice over. I think he could have gone straight to the moonsault uh, and have Duggan come out. You could have got that done in, in 30 to 60 seconds. So last week I said Rey Mysterio psychosis was probably one of the best pay-per-view openers uh-huh. ever. Yeah. I don't think this one will be far off the worst pay-per-view opening ever. Yeah, I looked up, we were kind of joking about it on Twitter last night, and uh, I, I, I looked up the ratings again for this show, and, and Big Dave gave this a dud rating and it wasn't the lowest rating on the show either that's generous <laughs> yeah uh now we have a montage of sturgis um and uh, then it's just like it's weird editing because they do a montage of people in sturgis and then we cut back and everybody's already in and around the ring for dancing fools with tokyo magnet versus public enemy and i'll tell you what i was already thankful that they cut out you know two or three minutes of entrances to to edit down this show a little bit I, I can't help but wonder what happened on those entrances <laughs> yeah particularly for the dancing fools one uh i i wonder was was something did was something thrown or was something said or was it just a case that maybe they they had filmed this uh i don't know if this went out completely live or or what happened or how this was edited out um if anyone knows did something happen like obviously we we don't look this stuff up so yeah if anyone knows that something happened during the, the disco and Alex entrance or the mm. public enemy entrance that they, they had to cut straight to the ring. Yeah. Uh, Tony mentioned something very early on about this match. He says something uh, in this match, he says something about the most anticipated tag match in history. I was distracted when he said this. So when I heard him say most anticipated tag match in history, I thought for a second he was talking about this match and I was fucking disgusted uh, before I realized he was talking about the main event. So um, I, I, I have a question for you. Yeah. Last week you shit all over the Public Enemy and Assy Boys match. That was a brilliant match. Yeah. Well, it wasn't. Listen, everyone else is wrong. I'm right. 
after watching this this match yeah. and seeing these two teams fight for what feels like the fucking 107th time yeah how how does the uh, dog collar match compare now it's still shit no it's not <laughs> like like if I get smashed in the head with a rock last week and I get smashed in the head with a plank of wood this week I'm still going to think getting smashed in the head with a rock was pretty bad too uh, it's not going to look back fondly on my time with the rock um, no that I mean you really should shite. it could have been that rock or rock shite. and like this match wasn't like fucking uh, a, a classic by any stretch of the imagination uh, but, D- Dave this match is this match is on borderline worse than the opener so this match was really bad, um, and I think this was something I was kind of I was trying to tease out how I felt about it on Twitter, and I think it was a thing where if I watched this at eight years old, I probably like when like I would have been around eight, maybe nine at this point when this show aired. If I had seen it then, I think I might have been like a little bit into it because like I was really into like the plunder matches and. Um, bringing in the kitchen sink and the like the to say the WWF 24/7 hardcore style of match when I was growing up I thought they were good gas crack like um but this and I wasn't think that, no but I, not now like look at like I said watching this match first time now 2020 did not like it at all like, I, I I wonder how I would have felt about it back then is how I was trying to to put uh, put it out on Twitter um, I the, think I wouldn't have said this was by any stretch like one of my favourite matches ever if I'd watched it when I was 8 or 9 years old but I think I would have been a lot kinder to it if you know what I mean oh I know what you mean like you're insane well <laughs> 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 like the commentators start out by talking about how this is a straight tag team match between these, these two teams after they already had uh, did they have a hardcore match or a street fight or something on Thunder uh, I think they had a match that like I think it was. I know. Um, did did Disco and Tokyo beat the Public Enemy? Yeah. And now they're having this straight tag team match between the two regular teams. Yeah. And instantly it turns into a fucking street fight. Yeah. And the commentators yeah. are confused by this. Yeah. It's it. Uh, look, I, I think everybody was fucking confused by this, but we will <clears throat> we'll talk about it when it just suddenly changes. But. The crowd don't care for Disco. That's worth noting from the top. Disco sucks chance booming throughout Sturgis. Um, they, and I felt really bad. The person I felt worst for in this match of all was Alex Wright because the crowd were kind of... The crowd were reacting to Tokyo Magnum's comedy. They were... They had genuine heat with Disco. They were really into Public Enemy at some points, but they could not give a fuck about Alex Wright. <laughs> There's they they're doing the disco sucks chant and then Alex Wright gets in and like crickets. I don't think they reacted to Public Enemy either, but yeah, no, 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 like it, when Public Enemy start getting their shit in towards the end, they are definitely reacting to them. Like it's not like oh our heroes the Public Enemy are here, but they're enjoying it and maybe it's as a reaction because they're beating up disco. But you know what I mean, like Alex Wright silence bell to bell. Yeah, that that that's fair. I see, I can I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
as Disco tags into the match at one point, they talk about how the Fools could be good if they took it seriously, which is now a talking point the commentary has had mm-hmm. on Disco for two years. over two years. Because <laughs> <laughs> we talked about them saying it last week on Bash at the Beach. They've said it before about him in our timeline in 1998. It's like, Jesus, like, I, I'm assuming they completely give up uh, by the time 2000 rolls around and yes. it's Disco with a Q. We're just waiting for Disco 2000 and the run of the Filthy Animals. That's when he starts taking Ooh. it all seriously. Oh, boy. Um, crowd is really only... Yeah, so this, this is why that was why. The crowd is really only properly invested in the public enemy when they're specifically beating up Disco Inferno. They don't care so much if they're beating up Alex Wright. Uh, the fools batter grunge with a trash can just out of nowhere, really. Uh, and Brain says, <laughs> as Grunge is lying around in the remnants of the trash can and its contents, Brain says lying around in trash isn't unusual for Johnny Grunge. Uh, Rocco, I didn't even notice Rocco had left. Uh, the camera cuts and Rocco. I, I wish he hadn't come back. <laughs> he just ran and kept running. Uh, just run off back the, to fucking ECW, please. He came, he came into the ring with a ladder and his attack uh, was enough to make the fools try and bail. Uh, Magnum encourages them to come back uh, and they do with a table. So like, there's this long period of like people running up the ramp and running back down the ramp. Um, and, and it's weird because the fools go backstage or up to the top of the stage. They grab a table and run back down. There was already a fucking table there. Yeah, that was Public Enemy's table though. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they they, they, own they the owned that table. Yes, they brought that with them Good. from Philadelphia or somewhere. It just felt like, especially when we see where this match goes, it felt like an incredibly convoluted way to get all Three the tables, tables yeah. into the area instead of just having the additional tables under the ring. Do you know what would have been an idea? Not doing this match. Well, there's that, or else just make it a fucking tables match. Yeah. Uh, Disco gets on the mic asking them if they want to make it a street fight to, to which I pointed out they probably should have asked that before hitting them with a trash can because by rights it should really be a disqualification already Polar Enemy run back they come out with a sink baking sheets and toilet seat a toilet seat uh, and th- thus begins maybe the greatest exchange on commentary of the night where Brain says it looks like a fight in a Waffle House. And Tony said, oh, you've seen that, have you? And he goes, <laughs> and Brain goes, yeah, I got you out of there. Yeah, that was good. I actually did notice that one. Uh, so it turns out one of the items that they had brought back down was a fucking mailbox. You know the way you've got like alu- uh, aluminium uh, fucking mailboxes just lying around. <laughs> um, I, I hope uh, somebody didn't com- commit a felony to take that from somebody's house. <laughs> Right suplexes Rocco arse first onto the trash can, to which Brain quips can to can. Um, Grunge breaks the pin with a baking sheet concerto, which the camera damn near misses. Uh, Right is now out on the table. Rocco goes for a dive. Disco pulls him out of the way. At this point, this is when it really starts to annoy me. A deafening roar of motorbike engines, and it would only get worse for the night, but this is when I was like, oh, Jesus. Um... And was this something that just profoundly annoyed you throughout the night, or am I just like on edge from Bash at the Beach last week? No, see, I, I knew what to expect. Not that I've seen this before, but I've heard all about these fucking Sturgis shows, yeah. and I knew it was just going to be constant fucking revving of the engines, beeping of the horns, and just total lack of engagement with the product. Mm. I've so I've seen clips of the Sturgis shows before. I've never watched one start to finish. I think it might be one of those situations where if you're watching one match or clips from one match, maybe 
it doesn't bother you and you don't mm. notice it as much but uh watching a full length pay-per-view here I, like i was just i was so sick of it about three matches into the show Couldn't I, deal with it. I think and i could be wrong it sounds to me like wwe have even edited the show yeah. to edit out edit out some of the fucking motorbike revving because you can hear it going and then all of a sudden it just goes very quiet if so it might be the nicest redacting they've done to any wcw content um uh, one of the things i realized about halfway through this match is that mike tenay has completely gone missing um and that's because there are no moves in this match so what the fuck does he care um it, it like a good half of this match i'm like is mike there anymore um maybe you went backstage to get a travis truth uh autograph <laughs> yeah uh, Wright has to sink in the ring and waffles grunge with a brain cackles this is great because he just doesn't care um, Disco gets a toilet seat to the ankle uh, <laughs> Tanae uh, returns to talking because Tanae, uh, Tony says something that just bothers him because Tony says the sink is probably the heaviest weapon here and Tanae just deadpans him and says well like apart from the tables and the ladder um <laughs> Tokyo tries to help but accidentally hits Wright, who is very unhappy about it. The distraction allows public enemy to take advantage in the match. Wright sulks about it and leaves. Uh <laughs> at this point it's such a farce that Brain asks, What, are we all out of chainsaws? Uh Tokyo bails now and Disco is all alone. Tony just says at one point, encapsulating my entire feelings on this match, he just goes, Boy, this is a mess. Yeah, if JR was on commentary, you would have got the whole bowling show bowling shoe ugly stuff yeah um time for disco to die as the boys set up three ladders one on top of the other three tables uh, correct yeah three tables yeah uh so Tanay makes the point that you would have to use the ladder to reach the tables and tony just can't believe this stating the obvious moment where he's just like yeah good call mike <laughs> to which <laughs> they then climb you. they then climb a ladder to get disco onto the tables yeah, but it, this is a great moment because I think this might be genuinely historic because he goes, good call, Mike. That's why we call you the professor. <laughs> and there's a pause and Mike Tanay is clearly popped huge because he says, chuckling, it is? <laughs> Thanks? <laughs> so I'm wondering, is this like the the dawning of the professor Mike Tanay? Oh, no, like Mike, here's the... They have to have called oh, yeah. him that before this, haven't they? Well, the, the whole run so far on Thunder, I believe they've been calling him Iron Mike Tanay. Well, maybe it is then. So either it either it is, or this is the moment at which he finally starts to like it. Because he's just the, <laughs> it is? Thanks? <laughs> it's just a great little moment between the two lads. Uh, Rocco climbs the ladder to climb the scaffold and drops an elbow through Disco and the triple stack. And one thing I will say is the triple stack break, it's excessive, but it looks pretty cool, and I I marvel at the fact that like no table slipped out of place, and that they actually very cleanly went through all three of them with a very satisfying crack. Yeah, that was like normally you know they'll go through two or three or two of them and miss the third for whatever reason. But yeah, they, they went pretty much dead center through them all. I always think of it as a TLC one where Bubba goes to go through four and, and he goes like, through two. Break, <laughs> breaks two and cracks his head off one on the way down. Um yeah, to be fair. So yeah, it was Bubba, nobody cared. Yeah. All tables are not created equally. Um Disco is shoved back into the ring. Tokyo tries to break up the pin, fails, public enemy win. Um then we go back to the internet look oh, by the way, that match was shite. 
just <laughs> just in case no one got our genuine genuine vibe. If you there. want to watch a good public enemy match, dog collar match, Bash and Beach ninety six. Oh, fuck! Oh, would you you fucking maniac to run off our listeners? Uh, <laughs> Lee Marshall is in the internet location with a man that I will now refer always to as America Bandana Man. It's the same kind of WCWWrestling.com geek that they usually have, but he's got an American flag bandana on, and it's fantastic. They never really draw attention to it in this segment. Uh, ref Malenko is there, finally wearing a ref shirt instead of his shite t-shirt. Uh, well, ob- Marshall- obviously his t-shirt has sold out. Yeah, well, that's that's true. Yeah, they, they're just flying off the shelves. He had to sell the one off his own back. Uh, he's being asked if he can be impartial, and he says he's going to call it like he sees it, uh, which Lee Marshall is very sceptical about. Uh, next up, we have what I was kind of hoping would be an oasis in the clearing, and that's Raven versus Saturn versus Canyon. And this is a match that I, I think, Lee, if I were to sum it up without necessarily getting into everything about it, I would say this is a match that, Given the level we have these three guys pitched at and how much we enjoy their work, I don't think this delivered on quite the level that another version of this match in a, a better crowd, a better building would have been. I don't want to say the match outright sucked. Yeah. But I was very, very disappointed watching this um, when it was all over. And maybe that's an expectation thing that like this storyline has been going on for so long and we expect so much of these guys that maybe part of it is on us set a bit too high for fucking Sturgis. Yeah, and um, I, I don't even think necessarily like obviously the setting didn't help and the crowd not being invested didn't help. But I just think the layout of the match was just fucking horrendous. Yeah, I, I think um, I couldn't. I couldn't ever see anyone having a ceiling higher than a gentleman's three on this, but I would probably go like right in the middle at about two point five. I would say. I think that's even generous. Like for the, I thought this was like bad. Yeah, I I think there was nothing mechanically, and this is kind of the next two matches have this about them. I don't think there was anything mechanically wrong with the match, but based on what we know, everyone involved can mm-hmm. do. I think it could have been a lot more. And it's not even like we're basing this on historical, like, oh, you know, Saturn was really good two years before this. No, it's like Saturn was good in the past at couple of months. Time. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Raven was good at this time. Canyon was really, like, being his innovator of violence character at this time. Like, we were, we are right to have decent expectations for this pairing or this, mm. this, this three way match. And. Like on what was itself like just not a good lineup of matches. Like this should have been our kind of saving grace, and it just wasn't. Uh, Lodi, in, we, we, in hang on. Of, we 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 should also say it is a uh, martial arts division title match. Of course, yes. So not only is it not only is it Raven rules, it's also for the martial arts title. God, I forgot that uh, Saturn is our champion, isn't he? Saturn is my handpicked champion. Yeah, here. <laughs> my God, the corruption. But what can we do? That die is being cast, my friend. Uh, Lodi starts the match by coming out with a Sammy Guevara-esque series of signs saying, and I quote, Sturgis is for losers and their fat old ladies. We hate Harleys. Biker girls are fat and ugly. That is a very brave man, Lee. <laughs> and it's not only 
R, it's biker girls R. Yeah, Literally yeah, the letter, letter R. R. And instead of fat and ugly, it's fat plus ugly. Yeah. God bless Lodi. He had balls of steel. Yes. Uh, grapefruits, it must be said. Uh, so Raven starts off the match by saying, Canyon, get him, and just kind of standing on the apron for a while. Um, there's a lot of this kind of the commentators trying to wonder, oh, you know, if um, like maybe there I, is I, something going on and alliance being formed here. At one point, brain, brain, brain spends about a minute and a half going, well, if Saturn helped Canyon do this and then Canyon helped Saturn do this, is that mean they're alone? But then Raven helped Canyon and but then Canyon went back to helping Saturn against Raven. Yeah. But then Saturn helped Raven against Canyon. And today, or uh, Shivani just says at one point, Brian, stop. Yeah, he just basically told him to show up. Like, uh, eventually, Canyon and Saturn realize, "Hey, fuck this guy," and they just start going after Raven, and that's when all the talk of alliances stops. Um, I I love. There's a moment here where Raven is laid out, and because he is a smart man and not terrible like a lot of the people we've seen up to this point in the show, he realizes the next move in the match is getting the uh, the the leg drop off the top rope from Saturn. He realizes he's been dropped out of position by Canyon, and like blink and you'll miss it. He pivots himself hundred and eighty degrees. Yeah, it was really like there's a man thinking about his ring position on the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like it would have been awkward out... for for Saturn to get down and kind of yeah readjust it or something. Drawn attention to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they fight outside and up the ramp. Raven gets hoofed. This guy takes bumps into the rails like no one's business. Do you think for so long working in ECW and not having actual guardrails, he's just absolutely delighted to be in WCW where they have real guardrails? Yeah, yeah. These are very comfortable to him as opposed to some of the shit he was probably taking in ECW. He'd gladly, he'd take a nap while taking a bump into guardrails. Yeah. <laughs> uh, bike noises in this match incredibly distracting I'll try not to point it out too much more in this show but I, I like there's a couple of matches during which I just had to make note of how bad it was um, uh, Saturn does a running double clothesline off the ramp which I think in his head he thought was going to look much cooler than it did uh, I, I think that's what I was like uh, because of our expectations from seeing like stuff off stages in recent years to yeah. see somebody just do like a straight jump into a double clothesline is very kind of like Ah. <laughs> yeah. I, I also think they were closer to him than he would have liked so it looked like he just dropped down on top of them rather than got a proper lengthy dive at them Um, they got back in the ring Saturn gets a knee fo- near fall off a T-bone uh, <laughs> Brain obviously wants this match to end because he goes boy I wish I was in there I'd have given up <laughs> um, <laughs> they do the, the triple sleeper jawbreaker spot Um, this is the point at which I know it was like nothing like nothing is I, I can't point out like hugely blown spots or, or anything like that but there's definitely the feeling that something is missing uh, for the level of potential that we would hold these three men to uh, there's a terror doom spot Raven attempts an even flow and because Canyon is very clever he holds on to the rope so that he doesn't go down Um, he pulls Raven out before three and suplexes Raven on the floor Canyon gets up on the scaffolding goes for a splash and misses as Lodi has pulled Raven clear Raven back in, eats a Death Valley driver. Lodi interrupts, and then Horace is here. So we're getting flock shenanigans. Horace is here with a stop sign. Lodi accidentally blinds him with powder. Uh, Boulder wipes out Lodi and Raven very awkwardly with the stop sign. Saturn suplexes him. Death Valley drivers Raven once again and wins, uh, retaining the martial arts division championship and putting us out of our misery for a couple of seconds. Yeah, uh, the the horror shenanigans at the end were just fucking. 
the shit cherry on top of what had been a fucking disappointing match in general. Um, hopefully we get starting like moving away from this stuff, but I don't think we do. No, not for a while yet, I don't think. But um, hopefully at least we get a better quality of match. Like I'm not necessarily sick of the storyline. I'm just kind of, this match was a real bum note in the, the kind of interweaving storylines these three men have. Like, I, I'm wondering, like, am I being a bit unfair? Like, when you take into context, like, the outdoor the outdoor show, I'm imagining it was very fucking hot there as well. Yeah. Um, and then like you have the ring lights and stuff like that. So may- maybe we are being a bit unfair, expecting so much. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Um, next up we have uh Ray versus Psychosis, and this was one where I was like, after you know recent entries in in, in their feud, uh, that we've watched on this show, uh, I was like, thank God, here we go, um. And, like, there's some good... It's good back and forth early on. Some fun offense in here. One of the ones I really enjoyed being Psychosis bending Ray's arms around the ropes while he's stuck in the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, some some really hard flapjack spots uh, from Psychosis in here. Um, but, again, this is one of those where... I, I don't know. You might feel completely different to me, but I'm like... Yeah, it's good. Like, I'm... I'm not having a bad time, but maybe the bar has been set too high for us now. Yeah, this was definitely a victim of uh, expectation. I thought this, again, would be one of those matches where I'd say, right, the show wasn't good, but at least we had this. And like, yeah. I wasn't expecting a match to the level of the one we watched last week. Yeah. But this, like... It was it very, it like, was very much psychosis, just grinding down Ray and just can't. It was just like it felt like when, even when they were doing their high spots in here, I feel like it was like a cover version of one of their matches. Like it's like, oh, we've got twelve or thirty minutes, however long the match was. Um, we've got X amount of time. You know, we'll we'll hit, we'll hit the greatest hits. Um, maybe they were coming into it thinking oh, this Surge's crowd really isn't going to give a shit until we start hitting the big stuff but like even then I don't think they've really hit any like major high spots though no there was a couple of bits that the crowd crowd got into Um, but yeah there was nothing on the level of crazy that we saw um, like, watching Bash may- maybe it's maybe like again maybe it's a we're re- reaching that point in WCW where the wrestlers are just starting not to care. Yeah, I, I think I, I would more be inclined to blame the specific show than, than these guys necessarily at this stage. Like, maybe it's just they're like, oh, this is fucking, like, like don't, let's just get this over I with. think we have like a glorified house show. We have to remember, like, this is a tour during a row they've done Sturgis, and I'm yeah. sure the wrestlers had a fucking shit time the past two years. Yeah, so man, like me and Jane. They're, <laughs> they're coming in with this kind of, like, Oh, this fucking show where they're not making any money. Like, mm. I maybe that's all playing into it as well. So, like, what what should we expect really? Yeah, they go to the outside at one point here in the middle of the match, and God, like, one thing I will say about this raised stage is that um, I imagine it's quite a nice soft like balsa wood or something like that, but. Jesus, did every bump uh, on the outside on this raised platform sound like it sucked? Oh, it sounded fucking horrendous, but I'd say it was a lot better than landing on, you know, a kind of hard basketball floor. Yeah, yeah. I I, I definitely would have understood more uh, if uh, Psychosis did the diving senton this time 
uh, onto that surface rather than when he did it onto the concrete last time we watched this match. I, I wonder were they ever worried that somebody was going to go through that kind of stage because you, you can guarantee it, it would have been amazing. <laughs> but you can guarantee like it wasn't that well supported like yeah I, I had just watched the the, the Brody Lee Dean Ambrose mm-hmm. match obviously a couple of nights before and they do the kind of um, the, the Taz Bam Bam spot yeah yeah and obviously the stage is gimmicked and stuff like that but like watching the, when I'd hear people take bumps on this like I was immediately thinking you know is this going to happen whether intentionally or not um but thankfully the 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 raised platform remained intact um i loved ray's uh step up uh somersault springboard to the outside yeah that was good um uh a lot of moves happening and unlike the last one where i was losing my mind uh, i just kind of just took it in and kind of enjoyed there's nothing we hadn't seen before um in their matches uh I, towards the end I liked the story the little bit of story about psychosis he's trying everything to put Ray away and it's just not working and he's getting really frustrated and because of that he makes a mistake Ray hits the springboard Rana and absolutely spikes him not for the first time no and probably not for the last time I don't know why but for whatever reason when Ray seems to be doing the springboard Rana on psychosis he always drives him fucking forehead first. I don't, I don't know if it's psychosis taking it wrong or if it's Ray doing something wrong. I don't know, but it's fucking disgusting. I'll tell you what. If they were taking this safely, like if they were managing to find a way where nothing bad was happening to psychosis on this, it looked fantastic. And I would advocate this as being like the super finisher version of a springboard <laughs> Rana, where it's like you know, the normal you know the way RV, RVD do. takes a D, RVD takes a DDT bump. Yes. And like nobody uh, else should do it that way. Yeah. But it's never hurt yeah. to RVD. <laughs> yeah. He planted psychosis like he was planting a flag. It was like, <laughs> it was disgusting. And uh, Ray is officially your number one contender for the Cruiserweight title after this. Um, As the show transitions, we get maybe the other greatest exchange on commentary. Uh, so it's more edited footage of Sturgis. And this exchange takes place. Tony says, Brain. Did you know in downtown Sturgis, you can get any leather item you want? I don't want to know what item you want. And then Tanae very earnestly goes, any leather item? <laughs> I, I think Bobby then asked for something something inflatable. Yes, yeah, so do they have anything inflatable? And then later on, before they get to the next match, uh, Brain tags up on the leather thing and he goes, you weren't kidding about that leather. I went out last night and had a steak and it was made out of leather. So ultimate dad joke there. Next up, I, ha- I we have, I know, what was the Lee Malone match of the night. Chavo versus Stevie Ray. And I wrote, Chavo and Pepe are out first. And how are these bikers not jumping the rails already? This would have been, like, ah. Oh. This was the point where he turned to show off for the first time. Yeah. Because I just couldn't, I couldn't face watching Chavo. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Um, they show during Chavo's entrance they show a man in a white vest on his bike with a moustache and a girl in a luminous yellow get up beside beside her beside him and you will not convince me Lee that those are not uh, Coronation Street's Jim and Liz McDonald in happier times I will not be dissuaded from that <laughs> I think you'll have to get uh, our friend Patrick's uh, opinion yeah. on that one that one is exclusively for Pray for Patrick our pal uh, Chavo says Stevie may have the belt but Chavo has the note he wrote himself saying he is in fact the champ as Stevie comes out highlight of the crowd in this show 
as Stevie comes out, a man in the crowd appears to be there promoting weed lollipops. Did you see this? No. So there is a man and like he's got people around him and they're all like they're also going to lollipops and he's got like a little like advertisement thing up for them and they're called like attitude adjusters or something like that. Not for fuck's sake. My assumption is some form of narcotic lollipop. Um I, I'm just not buying that the Sturgis Rally is big into children's candy, so that that's that's my preferred narrative here. Um, yeah, I I can almost guarantee that they weren't just lollipops. Yeah, uh, Chavo claims here at the start with Stevie Ray that they can't have the match without the ceremonial handshake, adhering to the code of honor. Obviously, now as you'll remember, there was you know they tried to do the handshake spot uh, in their last match, and Chavo tried to tap out from the handshake. Ha ha ha. Stevie Ray declines this time. Chavo mocks fighting his own arm as it tries to choke himself, which, like, was just making Stevie Ray, I think, actually mad. It looked like Stevie Ray was just like, ah, oh, what the fuck is my life? So, Booker T was injured, what, a month, two, month and a half ago? Yeah, there, thereabouts. What, oh, was it Was it the last pay-per-view against Bray? Uh, yeah, he's been gone since then. We haven't seen him. So, that was the last time this TV title felt important. In the space of a month... The They've t- trivialised it. The TV title has gone from a match involving Booker T and Chris Benoit... Or, Bo- or Booker T and Bret Hart... Coming off a grey feud between Booker T and Chris Benoit... To now Chavo and fucking Stevie Ray. And yep. they wonder why nobody gave a hook. In, in a two and a half minute comedy match... Um... In which neither man is actually the champion. Yeah. They both have pieces of paper saying they are. At least you can get the whole... The Stevie side of things. You know, you can see what it's building towards. At least it seems like something that plays into what they had already planned so, with the Booker and Stevie relationship. Why not just have I'm him... Not, I'm, why not just no, have no, him beat, like, former TV champions and to yeah. prove he is a TV champion? Yeah, look, I, I'm not a fan uh of what they're doing but at least kind of by the internal logic like this is something that stevie ray character would do whereas the chavo stuff just never has made any sense has never been interesting has never been good um that at least with the stevie side of things you can play it into something down the line but like the chavo stuff is just bollocks like it's just shite um it's again i would have done something different yeah like the you know, my, uh, my brother is out the champion and rather than him take the belt, just saying that he will defend Booker's honour by running through the TV title candidates that he would have been wrestling anyway. And then when Booker comes back, you go, well, this means I must be number one contender because I ran through everybody while I was defending your name while you were gone. Rather than bring this whole, I've made myself, I've given myself power of attorney or, you know, I've taken the belt or whatever. Yeah, apparently Stevie Ray is now a notary. Yeah. Who knew? Um... <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? Um, Tony plays devil's advocate and says Chavo is trying to wear him out. God bless by, Tony by for trying to. Away, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's just running away, scarpering, and trying to kind of like hit and run tactics, as Tony called it. Uh, Stevie tries the the Kali two handed choke slam. Chavo wriggles out and runs away some more. To me, I'm just like, because Chavo is outside the ring for most of this, and I'm like, why is Stevie even bothering? If Chavo stays outside, he's just going to win. But Chavo, um, Chavo's champion, Dave. Chavo thinks he's champion. Neither men are champion, Lee. Let's just get that no, straight th- right away. Th- this is the logic. Like you asked for the logic, so Chavo is now in possession of this this note that says he is TV champion. So 
so technically Stevie Ray has to beat him he has to chase him around to get him back in the ring I'm going to write a note saying I'm the martial arts division champion one of these days Lee and see how you like it um, listen I, I listen <laughs> you can get Stevie Ray to not to uh, be the notary on that one I'll, I'll allow it I'm sure Stevie Ray is on cameo and might actually do that <laughs> Um, I, I one thing I will say again it's another stupid comedy trope of wrestling I do enjoy wrestlers getting stuck in the ring um, and there's one point where Chavo gets cornered by Stevie Ray and he just can't figure a way out of a wrestling ring gas yes it's not like there's um, an exit right beside him no it's brilliant because it makes absolutely no sense but it's one of those dumb comedy wrestling things that I, I do enjoy uh, Stevie catches him and wins with a slapjack uh, Stevie says if anybody messes with him that they uh, that that's what they get and he isn't done yet shoves the ref over but before he gets to mess up Chavo some more Eddie is out grabs the belt uh, but backs off uh, Stevie leaves and Eddie tends to a confused Chavo who doesn't want his help uh, shite match and I'm so sad for Eddie that he's just still involved in this I think I could be wrong I think this is the kickoff of the LWO stuff isn't it it might be or again is that we're, later we're, in 99 I can't remember we're still in the time where I wasn't watching so we, we shall find out as things proceed uh, Lee Marshall is with uh, our hero Chris Jericho Jericho is just interrupting and talking over Marshall uh, says the conspiracy continues with Dean as ref but he says uh, he and his people are watching him tonight and he already took Quasi Juice's mask so he's gonna throw him out again um not his best work, but you yeah, know, it was okay. Next we have the the best segment on the whole show. One, because it was absolutely stupid and ridiculous, not necessarily in the way that they intended it to be, but I was laughing. And secondly, because in the best news of the night, we ended up with one match less than we thought we were gonna get. Uh because they're building up for Rick versus Scott Steiner. JJ is out uh, in his flannel shirt, I, saying. That I I don't. Steiner, I was just gonna say I don't know about you, but when Rick Steiner walked out in his jeans and cut off t-shirt with no yeah. wrestling gear, I don't know about you, Dave, but I got the impression he wasn't wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I just had this feeling. Um, JJ is out. Says there's no way this match can happen. Um, Rick is the one who hit Scott with a chair, and he is out for two weeks, according <laughs> to the medical experts, and then. <laughs> So, like, I was thankful. I was like, okay, right, that's one match we don't have to watch on this show. That's not casting aspersions on Rick and Scott. It's more like I just wanted the show to be over, and if we were getting the news that we would have one less match to get through, then I was happy. Um, Then we have... Uh, look, unironically, I loved this, Lee. <laughs> I don't know how you felt about this, but, like... I know Buff is known to ham things up. Scott has been hamming things up with Rick for ages. But Buff wheels out Scott, who is on a stretcher, yep. bandaged head to toe on one side of his body. Yeah, just the left-hand side in of his body. Just the left-hand side of his body. In a neck brace, with an oxygen mask, and the oxygen mask appears to be tied to an IV bag, yep. which is also tied chest. into his right arm. <laughs> on his chest. He's just holding on to like a handbag. And Buff is now back in a neck brace as well. Yeah, because he said the stress of the whole situation re-injured his neck. <laughs> so, like, one one chair shot from Rick Steiner has injured two men, almost gravely so. And I, lo- I, I love that Buff is asking Scott questions while he has the oxygen mask on. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's it's like the, te- the teacher from um, Charlie Brown. Oh yeah. Um, I I just love this shit. It was so goofy, but I, I loved it. Um, JJ says they have the right to reach uh, WCW. The executive committee has the right to reschedule the match, and they have for fall brawl. And in the best bit of camera work on the whole show, the camera is looking at them as the announcement happens. It cuts to JJ, who has the dramatic, the match will happen at Fall Brawl. And it cuts back and Scott has sat up. He has rose from the grave and is appalled. <laughs> I, I just loved it. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was great. It, it was like a real fun segment that yeah. like I don't think they intended to be that way. <laughs> no. Ah, uh, but I yeah, I roared laughing. I loved it. The visual of Scott on the stretcher was tremendous. Uh, then we go from maybe some of the high high is the very few high highs of the show to the lowest of lows. Lee. Once again, another match that I think we've talked about way too much, Brian and we haven't even got Adams. into it yet. <laughs> Brian Adams versus Mongo, and I imagine Brian Adams was probably loving life here in Sturgis because am am I right in remembering that Brian Adams is BSK? He is. Yes. One of the Bone Street crew. Along with who are the other prestigious members? Taker. The Harris Boys. Godfather. Godfather. Uh, Is that it? Paul Bearer. Oh, yeah, of course. And I think. um, Wasn't Yoko originally part of it as well? Might have been. I thought there's going to be one of those obscure ones like, hey, did you know that Aldo Montoya was in the click? (laughs) (laughs) As in, he carried all their drugs in case they got caught. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> Look, they're so, fucking, that's what happens. <laughs> I I wrote down Brian Adams versus Mongo. Oh Jesus, God no! Mongo's uh, hair truly bothers me. It looks awful. It makes him look like right. He looks like shy in the ring anyway, but like the long greasy ponytail that's like entirely too long. It just it looks awful. I mean, listen. His wife has now left to go to another company with another man. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously gone through some shit. <laughs> yeah. He's not taking it very well. Um, It's, yeah, it's just real bad. Like, I think there nothing on this earth. You, you can't polish this guy enough to ever make me think he would be good. But I think he would look at least a bit more imposing without the stupid hair. Um, This is really shite. And then the moment that appalled Lee so much, he had to text me about it. Uh, it's really bad. And then Mongo awkwardly runs through a clothesline, forgets what he's doing, and hits a shoot DDT. No, see, you're even underplaying it. Bo- please, both please of them paint us a word picture. Both right? of them go for a clothesline. Yeah. And they basically just kind of run through each other. And then Mongo hits the ropes, rebounds back towards um, Brian Adams, and they just hug. Very awkwardly, they just hug in the middle of the ring. Yeah. And Mongo grabs the front face lock because, you know, he's doing all the wrestling training. And then proceeds to literally just shoot DDT Brian Adams <laughs> to the point that Brian Adams has to roll out a ring yeah. for a good minute. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I don't know for sure, but I think this may have been a mild concussion. 
I don't want to speculate, but he he was definitely fucking hurt. Um, he looked like for a minute or two here, like you said, it looked like the lights were on, but no one was home. It was so bad. So like the shoot DDT looked awful on our side, but on the far side, opposite the hard cam, Vincent got a closer look at it. And it was so bad that Vincent was wincing. And uh, Adams rolls outside and Vincent kind of has to hold him upright mm-hmm. to check on him. To see if he's okay. And he has to take a breather. Like I said for about a minute. Uh, Adams gets back in. Uh, Mongo starts wailing him at this point. Uh, until Adams picks him up. And, and slams him to take control. I'm I'm just writing please end this. In between every sentence. <laughs> on my notes. Uh, Adams goes for a middle rope knee. And Mongo does the least dramatic taker sit up of all time. Uh, hits a couple of three point stance tackles. Adams goes for a pile driver, which knocks over the ref. He lays a boot into the ref out of frustration. Vincent got the chair, accidentally hits Adams with it. So that's like another, uh, yet another, like, I don't know who the fuck is agent in half of these matches and why none of them are talking to each other. But the amount of like, I'm going to hit you with the weapon. Oh no, I've accidentally hit my guy with the weapon on this one show. Like, obviously it's a trope in wrestling, but like on this one show, it it, it happens multiple times. Yeah. yeah and, and it's never fucking good. It never looks good. Yeah. Um. Then we get the Mongo so, Spike. Yeah, the Mongo Spike pile driver and a win, and thankfully it was over. Awful, like one of the worst matches. Uh it was. I like. I can't even muster up the energy to bear. It was just insipid. Like it was, ah, uh, truly, truly dreadful. Um, next again, we're right back to one of the highlights of the show. It's Gene on the motorbike with women this time. <laughs> And the only line I noted from this segment is because it's mostly, again, just a plug for the motorcycles, is Gene saying, you knew I'd find a little action tonight. And the women are absolutely loving it. <laughs> I hope they were well paid. That's all I can say. I, yeah, I hope so. Well, they have the pleasure of Gene's company. So what more payment do you do? I really hope they were um, well paid. <laughs> Hoovy versus Jericho. Cruiserweight title match with Dean Malenko as the referee. Jericho is out in a kimono. And let's just put this right out on Front Street, Lee. You know, this crowd, they were sometimes they were paying attention, sometimes they weren't. Usually, um, there was guys they just plain didn't like on this show, and that's when they got into stuff. Mm-hmm. But no one on this show got heat from this crowd like Jericho did. I I was just kind of writing down my notes as who he was making his entrance, then Jericho's music hits. I looked up to see him come out on a kimono, <laughs> and I lost it. I just... <laughs> Genius, absolute fucking genius, and then he gets on the mic, and you know what? He's oh. he's the first person on the show. Did like what the seventh match? He's the first person on the show to actually engage the audience. Mm-hmm. And my god, does he get a response? <laughs> so, Jericho is the you know there's the the classic tried and true heel promo of burying the local sports team, but this is the Sturgis rally. So Jericho pivots on that well-tried formula and decides to put over Honda motorcycles. Oh, he gets heat for having a <laughs> Japanese motorcycle. Like, my God. <laughs> and then you're like, why is he putting over Honda? And then you realise he's put over a Japanese yeah. motorcycle. He's wearing a kimono. Oh, my God. He Like, like, uh, uh, like the fact that nobody before him on the show actually, like, 
thought of this stuff or like even attempted to do anything to get actual heat. They're all playing checkers while he's playing chess, Lee. It's, he was incredible. He calls them all weekend warriors. They try to rev the bikes to drown him out. And he tells them to stop revving their little Harley engines and recognize that he is a real champion and that they aren't real, uh, real bikers. Uh, loved it, loved it. So this match kicks off and Dean gets involved early as Jericho is legally holding Hoobie in the corner. Jericho gets mouthy with Dean as Hoobie goes to the outside. Dean drags Jericho back by the hair and the camera fucking yeah, missed Yeah, which we don't actually see. We get told about. Well, no, we see it in the, the replay, the replay clips yeah. at the end of the match. Yeah, but during this match, they the, camera, uh, the, the commentators are having to cover for the fact that they cut too quickly. Uh, to the outside. They followed Hoovy instead of where the action was actually happening. Uh, Hoovy chops Jericho off the platform. A couple of tasty chops there, mm-hmm. I will say. And Hoovy delivers a plancha to the floor, which looked like it blew out his knee completely. And it wasn't to the floor. It was to the, the, like, the lower ground, the, yeah, yeah, not the platform. Was, yeah, it was over the platform to the floor. It oh God, like it proper looked like he did in his knee and he was limping afterwards. Mm-hmm. So I'd say he definitely jammed his knee a little bit. Uh, back into the ring with a slingshot leg drop for two. Uh, great strength on display from Jericho as he catches Hoovy uh, on a crossbody attempt, hoists him up and drops him, like basically giving him a Hoovy driver. Um, Tony draws uh, the attention of the commentary to the possibility that Dean is counting slow, uh, which is something that they discount very quickly. He definitely has a weird cadence, doesn't he? Like it's not Nick Patrick level, but it's, it's, uh, it's oddly slow, isn't it? Yeah, it's that kind of like... One, two, <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's like leaving so much room for the kick out mm-hmm. that you're just like, oh, it's it's like one of them kind of it kills the mood, like the the what's the term I'm trying to think of the uh, your dispens- suspension of disbelief. Yeah, yeah, it takes you right takes out you over, yeah. Um, and I think drawing attention to it didn't really help mm-hmm. here. It's funny, though, because like you put that in the context of right at the start of this match, uh, Tanay was eager to point out that I'll have you know that uh, Dean Malenko worked for a summer as a referee down in Florida, so he has plenty of experience. And, j- and now Tanay looks I, like an idiot. I literally just listened to a, uh, a podcast on the Voice of Wrestling Patreon, and Joe Lanza yeah. talks about Dean Malenko being a referee. Hey... So it was just like, oh yeah, he was actually a referee for a while. Yeah. Um, so then we have Jericho largely in control for a while until Hoovy gets... Like, I think it's supposed to look more obvious. He goes to do the lion salt and Hoovy is supposed to get the knees up but doesn't really yeah. lift him that much. So it, it, it kind of, like, if it weren't for Jericho selling, it would look like he hit the move, you know? Um... Hoovy hits a head scissors and a top rope spinning wheel kick, which looked like it sucked for Jericho to take that wheel kick. Mm-hmm. Um, Hoovy flips out of a German suplex attempt, uh, which I think is one of those things that, oh, that's also something that gets overused now in independent wrestling. I think that's a much more impressive thing to see in 1998 than now. Uh, but then Jericho catches him with a disgusting <sighs> double power bomb. So he jumps up to do the Rana and Jericho holds on to him, slaps him down once, it looks pretty rough and then the second one Lee I if this didn't take all the air out of Hoovy's lungs I don't know the man had to be made rubber to take this that second power bomb um, like I don't know about you but one of my favourite things about playing like all WWF games was picking Jericho and the double power bomb yeah and it's always just one of them moves I don't even associate with real life it's more of a video game move mm-hmm. 
So to see him actually yeah. do it, like it's just like oh, I love it. Actually hit the thing. Then he hits the triangle forearm to the outside. Um, there's a great powerbomb attempt into a DDT reversal by Hoovy that looks smooth as butter, followed by a Hoovy driver for two. This is what I'm starting to realize is like Hoovy is one of those guys we've talked about before. Like depending on who he's with, he can have like a, a really good match or a really bad match. He started to develop really good chemistry with mm-hmm. Kidman. Um, and Jericho is another one of those. He seems to get some of the best uh, or most interesting matches out of Hoovy anyway. Um, after the Hoovy driver attempt, uh, only a two count, he positions Jericho for a 450, but Jericho scouts it, gets up and crotches him, hits a good superplex. Hoovy jumps up for a Rana. It's reversed into a lion tamer. Hoovy gets the ropes, but Jericho thinks he's won. Gives Hoovy the chance to deck him in the corner. Dean tries to break it up and Hoovy accidentally pokes him in the eye. While uh, Dean is unable to see, Jericho grabs the belt and smacks him with it. He slaps Dean in the face to get him to count the pin and Dean gives him a face of absolute thunder Mm -hmm. right back at him. (laughs) This is this is a great moment and one of the moments that like they managed to get the crowd on again because like the second he hits the slap and Dean just stares him down. The crowd do love this. Yeah, like they actually get invested for the finish of this match. And like I think they all can realize right this is what it's all been building up to. Uh, Hoovy kicks out he attempts to fight back while Jericho is perched on the top rope Malenko pulls Hoovy off for some reason presumably because he's, you know, he's gone past the five count at the corner or something like that it's kind of a bit like a bit convoluted Jericho gets frustrated and kicks Malenko Hoovy runs and Dean launches him up in the air for the Rana off the top Malenko counts three and Hoovy wins Dean then floors Jericho as the segment ends and we finally see uh, Dean dragging Jericho earlier on the replay. Yeah, I, I thought, like, the, I really enjoyed the finish. Like, the Hurricane Rana looked great, like, Malenko launching him into it. But I thought, like, one of the best parts is Malenko finally decking Jericho. Like, yeah. his he gets his comeuppance, he loses his title and gets decked. That, yeah, that's you get it. That, you get that payoff finally Jericho loses the belt Dean gets his moment of triumph over Jericho but also it gives Jericho the coward the out uh, to continue the conspiracy narrative mm-hmm. because the crooked Dino Machino like he was saying he was saying the whole time that Dean was going to screw him and Dean screwed him Um, so that makes a lot of sense and I was kind of surprised because it is Sturgis it is Road Wild it's so inconsequential that they actually did the title switch on this show mm. and didn't wait. Well, I, um, I think they had to give some kind of moment to the show because, yeah. like, other than this, there's really nothing else on the show that's of consequence. True, true. Um, I, I uh, could be wrong. Like, I know you said Hoovy looked like he injured his knee on the, the plancha. Yeah. I might be confusing this with another run, but I think Ray wins the Cruiserweight title next night on, on Nitro. Well, I guess we're going to find out on the next episode. Of Which we will. But I just wanted to throw it out there. I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure at one point Ray wins the number one contendership and then wins the belt the next night. Mm. We get more shots of Sturgis now. And uh, Tony says, this rally is actually continuing on till next week. It's finishing on August 16th. And brain quips. Then they tear the town down and build a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said slum at one stage. <laughs> Um, we have the Battle Royal up next. The much vaunted NWO versus NWO versus Goldberg Battle Royal. <laughs> uh, we have Scott Hall, the giant who is pretending to be an airplane. Uh, Kurt Hennig 
And then it, uh, as Kurt Hennig comes out, we get a close-up on a man and his nipple piercing. Uh, and then Norton. <clears throat> Hall conducts a survey. People seem to like NWO Hollywood the least tonight. Um, Shock. I'm, I'm Matt- shocked because, like, who couldn't love drunk Scott Hall? I know, right? Uh, Nash, Sting, Luger and Conan are out then. Uh, crowd are more into them. Sting looks like he is having the time of his life tonight. He is laughing and joking and also pretending to be a plane. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe I, him I, and the I, Giant weren't really bad tag team partners. Is, is Wolfpack Sting truly like banter era Sting or what? Maybe it's like, remember when Dave Mastiff and uh, Ellie Guerrero became the banter edition? <laughs> yeah, art and banter yeah. edition, yeah. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. He's just living his best life being a goofy fucking baby face. Yeah, Sting is just now when... If Sting starts giving the referees shit like uh, Mastiff gives Roberts shit, then we'll know. Um, But uh, see, see, we See, now? we don't always hate progress. Yeah, it's true. Nash is on the mic now. Um, Confirms that the Wolfpack is indeed in the house, which obviously we needed that confirmation. Conan does his usual bit. People love it. Goldberg you know comes out. Hang on, that that really surprised me. That that Conan bit got the, over in Sturgis of all places. Because yeah, the make yeah maybe we're not giving the crowd enough credit. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that crowd would have been listening to like a lot of Master P or. Um, yeah, I I think I I think you know stereotypes what they are. You think of like a largely white biker crowd, and you think automatically a list of likes and dislikes pop into your head and maybe like maybe we're we were off base on that one who knows fair play to them that they you know i would have felt decidedly more uncomfortable like, with the rest of the show if they were giving if that was the theme of the people they were giving shit but to. like tr- person they, throughout the night they're not engaged in any of the wrestlers apart from they really hate disco well i mean everyone hates disco the music yeah. not the wrestler damn right they do the music damn not right the wrestler <laughs> <laughs> But, like, they're not engaged in, in any of the wrestlers. They don't seem to be up on any of the stories. <laughs> and for some reason, Conan, who's not American, yeah. comes out and does this kind of, like, hip-hop type stuff, and they're all over it. Yeah. And Nash. They love Nash as well, in fairness. But like Every, Everyone loves Nash. Like, everyone Jesus. loves Nash. Our woke king. Our woke king, yeah, exactly. Um... So yeah, then we have Goldberg out, who is very loudly billed as being from Parts Unknown, which I think is maybe the first time I've actually noticed that. Oh, really? Yeah. I Like, <laughs> I, I, I know it used to happen, but like, it, I, I think maybe it was the the levels were so weird that like, this was the first time I probably know from Parts Unknown. Um, By the way, something we didn't mention on this show was Dave Penzer in his leather vest. Amazing. He also has the little roundy shades. Yeah. I think they all just, like, the commentary and announce team just went shopping uh, early on in the day in Sturgis. And boy, did they come up with some gold. Maybe, maybe they're leather glasses <laughs> that they all got down on Sturgis Main Street as well. Mm. Early on, Goldberg <laughs> is just letting the uh, <laughs> is just letting the NWO go to town on each other until the giant throws, uh, throws a leg at him. And uh, Goldberg promptly beats the shite out of him. <clears throat> Hall attempts the outsider edge and Goldberg back drop, body drops him out. I am both... Surprised and not that Hall would be the first one out here. I mean, um, did he look in any way, shape, able to perform? Absolutely not. Because I um, don't think he was. No. Um, <clears throat> he goes outside the ring. Nash then eliminates himself to go after Hall, which is okay. 
I didn't realise they were in a blood feud for some reason. Yeah, well, no, they have been. Because, do you remember, there was the... Um... They, they haven't done anything. No, they haven't done it. But, like, it literally, we've only had one show since he was betrayed. Like, we've only properly had one show since he was betrayed. Because of the pre-engine. Uh, this feud has been going on for months. I can say confidently. <laughs> I can say confidently we have absolutely no idea what's been going on on Nitro. So maybe there there has been this epic escalation. But, yeah, he eliminates himself from the Battle Royal, which I always think is stupid. But I will say, in the grand scheme of people in WCW eliminating themselves from battle royals either intentionally or not uh, this doesn't rank that high and to be fair what's on the line in this fucking battle royal prestige my friend um, the bragging rights the, the bragging rights trophy obviously um, it's weird seeing the, the big tough baby face like Goldberg being the one who's like patiently waiting in the corner for an opportunity to present itself but then I'm thinking like firstly it's the he's first the time man in the ring. Is it firstly? Yeah, it shows him as being like a, a like a ring tactician that he's just letting the letting the NWO beat themselves ragged, and then he's gonna come in and pick up the pieces. So it's smart. But also, then you're thinking about like the actual man, Bill Goldberg. This is the first time he's ever been in a battle royal, which they're at pains to point out several times during this match, and it's probably like. You know, this is the thing. It's like, with the exception of Royal Rumbles that have, like, interweaving stories and stuff like that, Battle Royals are generally shite. You know? And this one was no exception. No. Um. So, like, maybe just Goldberg hasn't been around long enough to do some of the killing time and not drawing attention to yourself Battle Royal stuff yet. Um, yeah, and also, just, just hang out by the ropes and, like, cling on for a few minutes. Yeah, and he's also at the stage of his career still, like, because the streak is, is hot. Um, Like you can't really have him do the tease eliminations too much. Uh, they do one big one with him and, and Giant, but like uh, you can't really overdo it too much with the Invincible Goldberg at this stage, I would think. Um, uh, basically, at this point, I wrote, Battle Royal things just continue to happen until it's down to Goldberg and the Giant. Uh, Giant hits a choke slam. Goldberg sits up, uh, stops selling it immediately, hits a spear, hits an almighty jackhammer on the Giant, which Bobby Heenan has a canary at mm-hmm. this jackhammer because as the three is counted, he's like, he is the man. He is the man. Great stuff. He- Heenan continuing to put over Goldberg like nobody else can. Yeah, he's the smartest man in the room. He knows where the money is at this point in time and it's Bill Goldberg. Um, Next up, or sorry, do, do you want, is there anything else you wanted to add on the Battle Royal? Because nah, it, it was just fucking, a Battle Royal. A, a whole load of nothing. Like nine-man Battle Royal. But fucking made no sense. Weird. Very weird. Like, could you have not gotten, like, a, three other guys in and have Goldberg being part of Team WCW and have it a 12-man Battle Royal? Oh, no, that would spoil the upcoming War Games, Dave. Oh, wouldn't it just? Wouldn't it just? Uh, main event time, and they flew Buffer out. And... I know, Buffer was already there. One, I think, the visual of Buffer in his normal Buffer gear in this setting is very deeply funny. But also, (laughs) I am profoundly disappointed they didn't throw him what would probably have been like an extra 200k to wear like, yeah, leather jacket and shoes. You know, Bruce Buffer would have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Bruce Buffer was definitely there. Do you know what? I could probably see that, actually. He's a cool guy enjoying <laughs> cool things. Um, it's Hogan and Eric versus Leno and DDP. Hollywood and Eric out, and a line Buffer had... It, it's a boilerplate Buffer introduction, but the line that absolutely killed me stone dead was referring to the man as the dangerous disciple. 
a man who we rarely even see attack anyone or take a bump. And he is the dangerous disciple. But that's why he's dangerous. Great stuff. Yeah, he's... The, you don't know what he's capable of. Yeah, he's the Yakuza guy in The Simpsons when there's the big fight with the mob on the lawn. In the white suit, the white yeah. suit. He's like, I don't know what he's going to do. <laughs> you know? Um, so as soon as you turn your back on the disciple, that's when he strikes. Um, Leno and DDP out to what I assume is the Tonight Show music. And fucking hell, is that a weird combination of things do, do you know what why didn't they just let them come out to the fucking to ddp's music i'm assuming why do they feel be, the need to have I, the, the the late night music i'm assuming jay leno is uh, ever the savvy businessman this may have been a thing he insisted on um i mean maybe but like i thought if leno was insisting on something they would have entered in like a classic car or something yeah but it was fucking weird. This crowd, this setting, that music was bizarre. And they come out with Kevin Eubanks as well, what? who I will why say... Why did Leno have a flag? Why, why not? Like, because he got the Tonight Show shirt. Kevin Eubanks has a Tonight Show uh, logo on the back of his... Uh, his cut-off shirt. Yeah, yeah, his cut- yeah, it's not even a mess. It's a cut-off shirt. Um, I suppose, look, <clears throat> let's pause right here and talk about... Because um, late night TV, an absolute institution and tradition over in the states in a way that it isn't here like in no, ireland it's never we, it's never been successful over here in, in ireland we have what is the late late show which is the is it's been running longer than any of those late night shows but but it's not technically late at night it's not it's not late night in the way that the americans do late night like no. for a for a lot of it it's like some there is some fluff and some celebrity and some musical performances but there's a lot of like serious segments and things like that and it's considered a show for older people i would say um would you agree with that like i i i know nobody probably south of about 45 or 50 would <laughs> watch that show I was, no. I was gonna get insulted that you were asking me about the late late show but no i like i've watched <laughs> maybe, i've watched maybe a handful of actual late lates in my time um when there's been the, something that's really piqued my interest on or like the, the, the toy show is the one that gets everyone like the, every yeah. year they have a late late toy show which is what maybe a month before christmas yeah, it's usually the, like the first Friday of December or in or around then. And yeah, this is a, an Irish tradition like growing up and then To, again, to the point that the RT website will crash every year when people abroad are trying to watch the toy show. Irish people yeah. abroad. And that like I know when I was still secondary teaching, um, one of my colleagues had been on a waiting list for uh, toy show tickets for I think six years. Like Jeez. that's like that's how serious because the thing is well so it's it's like, we are way off the point here but the late late toy show is like once a year as Lee was saying um they turn the late night show into basically a toy show for the night where they preview all the biggest toys for Christmas it's the most exciting thing in the world when you're a small child because you're seeing all the shit that you've asked for for Christmas or some stuff you might sneak onto the list at the last second um it's good crack as a kid and then it becomes like as an adult a weird kind of cringy ironic enjoyment kind of like the eurovision does as well um, and also a great idea for cheap presents yeah and then again there's the other layer to it that when you become a parent yourself and you have a child and you're experiencing the excitement all over mm-hmm. again and the reason the tickets are so lucrative is because they give away a fuckload of stuff to everybody in the crowd oh like, like pe- people leave with like maybe a thousand two thousand euro worth of stuff every year yeah, yeah, ridiculous. Between vouchers and actual stuff. Uh, and, you know, there's always... Um, 
I think what, didn't one year they give away like PlayStations? Oh yeah, I want to say they probably did do something like that. Um, that my favorite, they do celebrity stuff as well. Um, and I know for years everybody has been expecting like Seamus to show up or something. And he like never that. has, yeah. Because there's been a couple of Christmases where he's been back around the time, and you know there's spot spots on the show where they're doing wrestling figures. I think what what wasn't Balor over the same weekend that yeah. was on the year yeah. he showed up at OTT? Yeah. So they they do things like that where they will have a celebrity walk up behind uh you know the the, the crowd while the the young child is playing their game or a game they're in or something that's tangentially related to the celebrity yeah like um, Rory, Rory McIlroy yeah. Robbie Keane my my favorite was the year where oh my god they must have plumbed the absolute depths so they had one child on who was fascinated with the weather and there hadn't been a proper celebrity all night and like the host was at one point was like oh do you like weather do you well here's Evelyn Cusack who is just like <laughs> the, the weather yeah, forecaster fair, this was at the, height, the height of her celebrity yeah this is the weather forecaster on the channel it's just brilliant stuff but anyway that's a massive segue to explain that late night isn't the same thing as late night over there and the hosts of our program aren't nearly the celebrity figures and definitely not the multi 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 millionaires and not nearly as charismatic either no and it's not the like it's just a different culture altogether but i am always fascinated by late night culture i I think having britain tried to do it a couple of times and never really had much success i mean the the most successful one i would think of is jonathan ross which was it was an adaptation of the american style but it wasn't quite the same and then i suppose graham norton is the contemporary one that a lot of people see a lot of youtube clips about but that's everybody just getting pissed on a sound stage like yeah you know, that, like, that i'd consider that very different to what the american model yeah. would be it, it's definitely inspired by the american model but it's not the it's not the same that's that's for sure so like where for you like what is your kind of knowledge of jay leno i guess you're how much jay leno have you taken in in your in your life i can't say i've ever purposely sat down to watch like a jay leno monologue or like i i can remember like the the jump in point for me is generally american culture so like stuff like the simpsons wrestling um like family guy like stuff like that where you know you become aware of stuff like this like Jay Leno, Conan O'Brien, um, John Stewart. Like John, John Stewart's a bit more contemporary and like something we yeah. I would take an interest in. Yeah, um, and John Stewart was airing over here uh, on Comedy Central because we have Comedy Central here. So yeah. like they were showing the Daily Show on a delay here. So we were always more familiar with that than than as you say than late night. Although now all the late night shows are starting to air over here in the middle of the night. Yeah, I think that aren't they doing a day delay on like James Corden and what's the other one that's on? I think there's another one that's on Sky Atlantic. I don't think it's Conan; it's somebody else. Uh, so it'll probably be whoever else is on. You see, I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, see, I I don't keep up with it either. But yeah, no, like I I'd be oh, it's probably Colbert, is it? Could be. Yeah. Um, but like stuff like Letterman, Leno, like you become aware of it by by taking in American yeah TV shows I, and I'm, yeah. Like, obviously, Jay Leno is in the world of American TV talk show hosts in the 90s. Mm. I believe he, he got, like, really kind of famous for really going after Clinton. So he was, like, king of late night for, mm. for many, many years throughout the 90s. In a way that, like, I think <clears throat> for people who follow comedy, 
Now, I, I look, I, I stand corrected again. I'm not American. This wasn't part of my late night diet growing up. My understanding of it has always been in terms of like your average everyday viewer. A lot of people like Jay Leno because, again, yeah, he would do stuff like Skewer Clinton. But by and large, he drove down the middle of the road. Didn't, you know, didn't offend or upset anyone in particular. He was the kind of um, your ma's choice of late night host sort of a thing. Um and he was a ratings king for, for so long, whereas Letterman was always the people who appreciate the craft of comedy. Letterman was their guy. Um, so that, uh, what was Conan then? So Conan was the... the and this this comes into my... my uh, see, you're, see, to me, you'd probably be more aware because like in college and stuff, I can imagine they were a bit more popular. Yeah, so like I, um, I love Conan. I I am I am a fan of Conan. I will say I've consumed uh, as much of his stuff as I can over the years. And Is that because that, he's look alike? Well, uh, no. If we don't look alike, like he's about <laughs> eleventy feet tall and ginger for a start. <laughs> but um, I, I I just love Conan and I love uh, Andy Richter, his sidekick. Um, and part of that fascination comes from the fact that he was a writer on The Simpsons during The Simpsons peak. Was he? Um, yes, he was. Conan was. Yes, and he was. Uh, he was a writer on SNL, and only very briefly appeared on screen. And SNL is like another comedy and cultural institution that I am absolutely fascinated by. And See, SN- SNL is something that I feel I would have watched if it was easily available over here. Yeah, yeah. I I used to have to, um, shall we say, purchase uh, episodes of SNL online back in the day, um, and kind of yeah, because so many stars came from SNL that like I just I just love consuming it's just an interesting history uh, of American pop culture diving into SNL but yeah I respected Conan's craft because of that so he was always on my radar when I started get, yeah like you say getting to college and appreciating comedy and things like that Um, so Jay Leno was somebody I remember seeing clips of this match and Jay Leno is a guy who is, as you say, through like The Simpsons and different shows like that, he's in the culture, like he's in pop culture enough that things we saw would have referenced him without me ever having seen Jay Leno actually present a show or host a show. Whereas the next time I, I heard of Jay Leno was about a decade later when he fucked over Conan. Um, so there is, um, there is an incredible book called the war for late night or something like that uh i can't remember what the name of it is i will i i thoroughly recommend this because it like it's one of the most fascinating stories of all time about um when everyone how, was changing slots and moving networks yes, and yes leno uh, was retiring that, yeah 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 the tldr is basically like leno had agreed semi-reluctantly to retire and conan was to inherit because that's the other thing like these institutions of late night you kind of get promoted uh, and you want the tonight show so Conan was to get the Tonight Show because he had kind of like he had done his duty. He was a loyal soldier. He got the promotion. Um, it started like it was a it was a shaky start ratings wise because obviously Jay Leno was such a big deal for Middle America, and then Jay undercut him by getting his own show uh, again. Basically fucked him, and Conan got ran off the network. Um, that's a very like I'm very much abbreviating it. There, there's so much more to it, and there's a. If you if you remember the name of that book, actually let me know because that sounds like something I'd definitely be interested in. Yeah, it's on the shelf behind me. So literally, when we finish, I will guess the name of the book for you. <laughs> and there's a couple like there's um there's a 
couple of great like there i think there's um there's a film adaptation of the book but also there's a documentary about what conan did when he was so he had to wait out he wanted to be back on tv straight away he ended up on tbs and um there was a period of time in between when nbc made him go home and when he could uh, actually be on tv so he couldn't do anything he was basically gagged from being on tv um and he went on tour uh he started up a band and went on tour because he loves blues and bluegrass music he's a huge friend of jack white who is which is another reason why i love conan because jack white is my favorite musician um so there's a documentary about his music tour and about how he's grappling with the feelings of what happened to him and how he got fucked over um and he his band are called the legally prohibited from being on tv band or something like that <laughs> uh, so yeah I, I love conan so like kind of when i see Jay Leno part of me even though I have no investment at all being an Atlantic Ocean away from all of this shit I still like oh that fucker um, <laughs> so that's about my knowledge so I, I so you'd way more investment in this match than I had yeah and I would have like I, I don't actively like hate hate Jay Leno and I think there are like let, I'm not going to for a single second tell you that Jay Leno is any good at wrestling at all um, but I think in ways we'll talk about in this match, I think he, there were interesting things to note about how he performed in this match in some ways relative to, for example, Dennis Rodman the previous month. Um, but we'll explore that in a second. Um, Leno looks really hyped up coming out for this match. Like he really, that's one thing. And he's big into his motorbikes as well, I think, as well as his classic cars. He is, yeah. But he looks very excited to be here, doesn't he? He looked like he'd been drinking a lot of coffee and energy drinks because his eyes are bug-eyed. Yeah, and he's got his, his cup of what looks like coffee, but it's revealed to be water because he dumps it on the heels who are appalled. Bischoff looks like an absolute sack. Um, yeah, in, in his white tracksuit bottoms and NWO short. And yeah. I couldn't I couldn't help but in my own mind compare. I was like, right, Bischoff is on TV at this stage doing the, the evil owner stuff. And then over on the other channel, you have... Vince McMahon doing the same character. Yeah, completely com- different. Compare the two of them body-wise. Yeah, and just presentation-wise, because like yeah. either Vince has either turned out very well in a suit, or he's fucking in, in his wrestling gear looking like a brick shithouse. Like, you know, even though he was the owner and he wasn't a wrestler, like, he still looked like a guy where you're like, well, you know, he could probably throw a punch. Like, Bish- Bischoff... Like, he wrestled often enough that he probably should have, like, kind of taught more about his presentation. Yeah. And, yeah, here he looks like, again, with the t-shirt and the the white tracksuit bottoms, like, he looks like, he looks like half the people I would be in PE class with in school. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Just, like, the cheapest looking tracksuit bottoms you can find and just any random t-shirt will do. So we're only here playing indoor soccer for an hour and then we're going home. Um... Yeah, it just... One thing I will say... So, I'm already getting a feeling in this match, Lee. I don't know if you felt the same. About five minutes in, where it's like... Lessons have been learned from Bash at the Beach. And the non-wrestlers will not be interacting directly with each other half as much. And a lot of this match will be put on DDP and Hogan. And rightfully so. Like, I'm not saying Hogan is fucking brilliant bell-to-bell at this point. But the right decision is made that the they're they are trying to minimize the risk given that they've made the decision to have leno and eric in this match they've taken the decision to minimize the amount of responsibility those two ha- have for keeping the match together which i feel they didn't do at bash at the beach 
Yeah, if, like I, as far as I remember, like didn't Malone and Rodman start the match at Bash at the Beach? Yeah. Like whereas here, it, it's very much just DDP and Hogan, and yeah. like you said, like that doesn't mean it's necessarily good. Mm. Just it means it's better than it would have been, and like they allow Leno enough shine that you're like, ah, you know, he don't get me wrong, he's out of place, and he, yeah. You can't help but realise he's out of place, but mm. the few little spots they give him, it, it's fine. It is what yeah. it is. Like yeah. to me, Hogan shouldn't be selling a fucking arm ringer from Jay Leno. But no. if you're gonna go down this route, that's the route you're going, and you have to make it work. Yeah. Like if you're gonna have the suspension of disbelief and go like these holes are legit. Like if DDP did help him put on the arm ringer, it would hurt. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, the bit the bit where the suspension of disbelief is tested is how long it goes on for before Hogan powers it out, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, I will say, so there's a bit where Jay slaps Hogan and he's fired up and Kevin Eubanks runs him into a post on the outside. Um, overall in this match, I think, and this is what I was saying to you earlier, is that um, compared to the compared to the Malones and the, um, the Rodmans of the world, I think Jay Leno understands, and obviously because he's an entertainer by trade, Leno understands his role extraordinarily well compared to the two of them. Yeah. Uh, I think he's a great cheerleader on the outside. He's doing really, like, his level best to get chance going, and it nearly works a couple of times. I think he's actively watching and reacting to things in the match. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not just sitting there bored waiting for his cue like the two the other two lads were. Like he, he seems really invested in what's going on. I think his facial reactions are great throughout. Uh, and I think his, and obviously this comes from being a comedian and an entertainer, I think his timing of things, his reactions and things like that are also really good. So th- those are my positives really in this, I think. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like you, you can tell that he, he wanted to do this. Like don't get me wrong, I'm sure he's paid a lot of money to do. But like, yeah. I get the impression that he actually enjoyed doing this. Like, like you said, yeah. he was into the bike, so he, yeah. he he probably would have went to Sturgis anyway, like for a couple of days. Yeah. He he obviously knew Hogan. He he seems to get along with Bischoff and DDP. Like, so this seems to be something that he can like do and like tick off a box and say, like, you know, I'm proud I did that kind of thing. He's a guy who one of the things I fa- that is famous about Jay um, that a lot of people would know is that it. It's not like it could be a situation where Jay was told by his agent, oh, you better do this. They're willing to pay you that. Jay never mm. had an agent um, to book Jay to do things or to negotiate contracts with Jay uh, when you were NBC. You had to go through Jay directly. Jay handled his own business. So if Jay didn't want to be here, Jay would he not be, be here. There. Yeah. yeah. It's not like he was fucking hurting for money at NBC. I can tell you that. Um, again, oh yeah, I, I, I imagine he was very well paid. You will, you will read in that book, my friend, how well compensated that man was. He he was doing okay. He wasn't hurting for a few quid here or there. Um, uh, so yeah, <laughs> Jay gets the tag to come in and tackle Eric, but immediately Eric, being a coward, tags out, and it's Jay Leno versus Hulk Hogan, the match we've always wanted to see. Uh, Jay taunting and mocking Hogan, but thankfully doesn't try to stand up to him. Um, because just as Hogan tries to grab him, he tags back out. Smart. Uh, Jay back in, and this is the arm ringer spot, where I think it gets a good pop from the crowd when he does the arm ringer, but uh, I, I think I would agree with what you say, because it, it went on too long. If it had just been a second where he takes over the arm ringer, and you're like, aha, and then Hogan immediately is like, 
fuck you, Valve. It yeah. would have been better. But uh, it went on just a little bit too long. But initially, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I mean, you get you get that cool photograph, don't you, of Leno having the arm ringer on Hogan. That that's what yeah. it was all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Hogan powers out, sinks a knee into Jay in the corner, tags out. Uh, back in then, the lad, the, the faces hit a double clothesline and gets a near fall, and a, the absolute apoplexy going on on the commentary table at the thought that Jay Leno might almost pinned Hogan, yeah, almost pinned Hulk Hogan was great, and it was it was great because like the double clothesline looked sloppy, obviously, but the way Jay just basically fell on top of Hogan was i thought was good that's exactly the way you would expect jay leno a, to try a, and get a, a non-wrestler yeah exactly yeah fall over into a pin and realize um hogan whips page onto the ropes at one point uh or into the ropes at one point and bischoff bischoff goes to do a roundhouse kick uh to the back of the head and botches it so badly that he he goes over page's head or he kicks page in the back of the head legit and then his foot grazes over the top of his head and his heel catches Paige in the face and if these guys weren't good friends there would be a stern receipt coming Bischoff's way I imagine yeah that that's something that you can only get away with with a friend mm-hmm. um, Bischoff comes in and proceeds to do uh, Shane O'Mac level offense all over Paige for about a minute mm-hmm. Uh and I hate this. I hate, like, this is the thing that I'm glad they never put Jay Leno in this position properly. Like, the arm ringer stretches credibility. But I am not having when non-wrestlers who aren't, like, accomplished athletes in and of themselves, when someone like an Eric Bischoff comes in and gets the heat on an actual professional wrestler, I hate it. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that at all. Like, it, it happens way too often as well. Yeah. Um... Hogan loads his hand and floors Paige the brass knucks, but Patrick is distracted, so Paige is able to kick out. Hogan hits the big boot, but he showboats too long, and Paige gets up. Uh, he tries to boot Hogan, gets caught, but uh, spun around, clotheslines Hogan, both tags out. Eric begs off Jay, but uh, manages to rake his eye. Jay punches him in the dick, <laughs> throws two punches that didn't look very good. Looked, um, looked awful, to be fair looked awful but then rightfully so because this is you don't want to have uh, like somebody who isn't a worker throwing work punches so he does what he should have done all along instead of throwing punches he just grabs eric by the back of the head and just beats his brains off the turnbuckles for a while which you know it's very hard to make that look shite so that that's probably what they should have gone straight to but you know what can you do uh hogan in but he accidentally decks bischoff hogan and page are out Eubanks of all people hits the diamond cutter presumably because Jay was it was explained to Jay what a diamond cutter was and he's like yeah I'm not doing that um, <laughs> so Kevin Eubanks hits the diamond cutter and Leno with a proper actual pin like interlocking wrestling his pin, hands yeah. like or an actual wrestling pin uh, and wins um, so yeah Jay Leno gets the win uh, the bad guys jump the lads and celebrate and I think you know, for the fact you pay the money to get Jay Leno in and Eric Bischoff is a nerd, the right guy pun- pin the right guy in this match. I oh, don't yeah. think Paige gets nothing from pinning Bischoff. Hogan Bischoff and yeah. Hogan, Hogan wasn't getting pinned by either of those guys in this match. Yeah, and it wouldn't have mattered if, if DDP got to win over Hogan here. Just It, it would have felt unimportant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, bad guys jump the lads while celebrating. And then out comes Goldberg, still wearing the belt, spears both of the heels while the belt is still on him, and the babyfaces celebrate together. 
Uh, and I love yeah, you, you know you know that was for the simple reason that they get the shot of Goldberg in the belt with Jay Leno. Yeah, and Jay was delighted to see Goldberg and they have a couple of nice words clearly together. Um Brain puts over Jay's gutsy performance having had only one week of training. Uh and then <laughs> in in what I think is really awkward, so obviously on the night they're kind of vamping to wait for the Travis Tritt concert to start. It felt like they were summing up this pay-per-view for an awful long time, Lee. Yeah, probably longer than we will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they summed this night for an awful long time. Uh, two things of note here. Firstly, Bobby Heenan challenged Mr. Rogers to a fight. <laughs> uh, speaking of American TV institutions. And we go off the air with a promotional video for Fall Brawl, confirming that, yes, next month will be War Games. Uh, so, we? looking forward to that. Lee, as you said, we're not going to spend long summing up this pay-per-view. We kind of talked about our feelings about it at the top. Um, how was this for you? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've, I've had fun talking about it with you, and it's going to make me feel better about it. But, like, watching this show, I just, I hated the show. Yeah. I was really disappointed in a couple of matches, as we talked about. But, yeah, I, yeah, yeah I just didn't enjoy this one at all. This was by some distance our worst pay-per-view we've covered so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even on the pay-per-views that have interminable main events like Bash the Beach 98 or lackluster cards throughout like a couple of them we've had, there's always one really good match or one really good segment. The best stuff on this show was only at about a three, three and a half star level. And when that is your ceiling, that re- that shows you how poor the show was. Uh, my two, like my three favorite things on the show were some of the commentary one-liners from Heenan, um, Jericho's antics uh, in his promo and and his kimono, uh, and then the the Scott and Buff hammy comedy stuff. Like none of my significant when you, highlights. When, when, are when you're coming matches. off a paper, yeah, when you're coming off a pay per view with skits being your favorite part, it you know it's not good. Yeah. Before we wrap things up, Lee, uh, winners and losers. I mean Chris Jericho's the only winner tonight because he got genuine heat the only one throughout the whole night yeah um, losers I think Raven sat in Canyon because like they came in with what was a decent program and just like I don't want to say shit to bed but it's just so felt so unimportant yeah yeah you're not wrong there uh, it's a big shout it's disappointing because they're three guys we like a lot but um yeah, relative to what we should have got, uh, I, I was very disappointed. So yeah, uh, I'll give you that. Uh, our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borga gives us nine matches with seven clean finishes and two interference leading to a finish. Uh, and our martial arts division champion remains one parent. That, that has to be probably our, our most clean finishes on the show. In terms of percentage, it's the highest in a while. I know we were starting to get to the point where it was nearly dead even. <laughs> for a while um but yeah we'll, we'll throw that on the spreadsheet for the year um yeah that's gonna do it for another episode of days of thunder again we're, we're at the end of may now so uh starting in june we're going to be going back to once every two weeks um as we were beforehand it's not to say at some point you know we we've got a couple of uh pick your poisons at various stages of uh actually recording them yeah planning we'll say uh, and we may come up with special editions in the meantime, but um, 
at least for now we'll be going back to, to once every two weeks we've done you know two two long months of uh of week on week shows um and we don't want to kind of um we don't, we don't want to burn ourselves out we don't well we, yeah obviously we're, we're very lazy men we don't want to burn <laughs> ourselves out and put in loads of effort um and just get sick of things we want this show to be uh you know enjoyable for us to do but as well i think i don't want to be doing extra shows just for the hell of it just because we yeah. have to put something out next week i want to do bonus shows when there's a good idea um so that that's you know that's the days of thunder guarantee is that we're we're only going to do something if we feel oh that would be an interesting idea for a show or i'd like to add my my sentiments my takes on that so we we, we want to be the jay leno's of podcasting rather than the dennis rodman's <laughs> where we just show up yeah for sure um so yeah w- with further ado that's that's an that's another episode of days of thunder in the bag we'll be back with uh episode 27 i believe of thunder uh, next and uh, in the meantime if you go to wc at wcw thunderpod on twitter that's where we we chat with people as we're watching the shows we we chat with you about all manner of wcw stuff we absolutely i say this every week we fucking love hearing from you and how you're enjoying the shows what you're liking ideas maybe for future shows so that we can put it on the long list uh, we've got a couple that are you know our, our listeners the thunder buddies have given us over the months so you know the don't think that your requests are ignored we we definitely listen and are open to all sorts of ideas um but yeah, we, we just love to hear from you guys and, and what you're enjoying and seeing you, you tag us and stuff where you're spreading the word. Um, uh, I saw we were we were recommended to Missy Hyatt in the last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, among, uh, among other people who have uh, recommended our, our podcast, we were we were recommended by uh, our good friend Alan Forel. Uh, he recommended us to one of the cast of Derry Girls recently. <laughs> That's a, a must-listen podcast. <laughs> so yeah, we we love seeing that stuff um, and spreading the word because uh, we we love how many people have come and flocked to to Days of Thunder uh, over the months we've been doing this, and you know that's the only way this show grows and, and gets bigger and this community builds up around us is by you telling a mate. I think that's for me. That's always been the tried and true. If somebody recommends a podcast to me, I'm more inclined to listen to it than just kind of searching for stuff off my own bat. Um, so we really, really thank you all for that. Uh, the couple of other plugs, because they're relatively new, our Instagram is up and running, WCW and Thunderpod on Instagram. Photos of the shows as we're watching the behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, our Beers of Thunder go up every week, uh, including our reviews and a kind of written version of, of what we thought about the beer. Um, and kind of where I suppose we, we tag the breweries as well so you can you know if you if you want to enjoy some of the beers we've enjoyed in the show you can go and find them for yourself and see if they're they're for sale in your area the other thing I'm going to plug is Beyond the Thunder Road our WordPress blog which is at wcwthunderpod.wordpress.com or .org I can never remember but it's a yeah it's WCW, WCW Thunderpod on, on WordPress um, and this weekend hopefully uh, my first review of uh, Beyond's Uncharted Territory I'm watching that from the start which is something that's been going on all over May on Twitter uh, I love Beyond Wrestling they're one of my favourite indies and I feel like um, they're kind of one of those that uh, a lot of people do know about but a lot more people don't know about and you know if there's somebody who's listening to the show who hasn't watched them Beyond I'd be very happy to shine a light on some of their stuff 
I, I think they're one of the, um, for me, they're one of the tastemakers in independent wrestling that I'm going to see feuds and, and matches there that I'm going to be talking about these guys, these wrestlers, uh, like months or years down the line uh, in some of their cases. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuck in with that, uh, talking about promotion I really like um, that delivers more consistently than this pay-per-view did, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and I know, like I've I've watched a bit of Beyond, but I I know you in particular are a very big fan of the promotion. So, looking forward to reading what you have to say. Yeah, so look forward to that coming up around this weekend. It will, of course, I I will uh, tweet out the link on uh, on our uh, feed just so that nobody misses it. Uh, and you can, if, if you're really desperate to see what I think of Beyond Wrestling or what Lee thinks about stuff when, when Lee is writing stuff on there, uh, you can go down to the bottom of the WordPress blog and there's a little box there with do the thing written underneath it. And that's where you can put in your email address so that you get notified as soon as our blog posts go live. So take that into account. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, for Days of Thunder, I've been Dave Ryan. The man on the line with me has been Lee Malone. We'll see you next time for Thunder episode 27. In your heart. I can see through the scars inside you. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you.